Welcome to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from February 12th. 1997. From the high desert in the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening or good morning as the case may be across all these many time zones, from the Tahitian and Hawaiian Island chains, eastward to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands, south into South America, and north to the pole. Worldwide on the Internet, this is Coast to Coast AM. Top of the morning, everybody. I'm Art Bell, and we are going to be speaking shortly with Whitley Strieber. Uh, the Really, there should be no introduction necessary for Whitley. You know him by communion. You know him by The Secret School, or Will Shortly, his brand new book. Millions of millions and millions of books worldwide sold. And uh, he's going to be here this morning talking about two things of great concern to many people. One of them, the possibility of an asteroid strike on Earth punctuated by an NBC movie coming out, I believe this coming Sunday and Monday in tandem, and so much concern, so much sudden concern about the possibility of an asteroid striking Earth as we find more and more of them that are crossing our orbit. We're also going to talk about the breakup of the Larsen Ice Shelf in the Antarctic. That's right, it's breaking up. What does it mean? Well, we'll try and find that out. So all of that coming up in a moment. By the way, I'd, I'd like to welcome WOMPAM in Bel Air, Ohio. Welcome, covering the Wheeling, West Virginia market, 1290 on the dial, and about affiliate number 327, I would think, uh, as we continue to grow like a wild weed. Now, down to Texas, San Antonio Way, and uh, the famous Whitley Strieber. Whitley, welcome back. Glad to be back, Art. Uh, good to have you. All right, Woodley, we are going to cover, I think, two main topics this morning. Right. Uh, one is the seemingly, I'll use that word cautiously, increasing probability uh, that an asteroid may strike Earth. Now, I guess the first question I would have for you, Whitley, is why do you think that there is a sudden concern? I'm 51 years old. You're near my age. Uh we haven't had an asteroid strike yet, and yet suddenly here's an NBC movie about an asteroid. Everybody's talking about it. The EBS system is concerned about it. Everybody's worried about an asteroid striking Earth. Why the sudden concern? Well, I've been doing a little bit of you know, detective work because the question is this. Uh, has somebody discovered that there are... Are we coming into an area where there are more? there's more space to breathe? than before, huh. or is it simply that uh, that new technologies are enabling us to look more closely at the sky? Uh, in, um, or could it be both? Well, it could be both, but the, the, the actual truth is that the technologies that we're using now have been in place for quite a while. They're not all that new. Uh, the particular Air Force telescope that's being used by, uh, by JPL now to has been being used by JPL to track uh, near near Earth asteroids for the past year. Is a, a technology that's been in in use since the since I think the late 80s. So that it's definitely not um, not new. It's not new. No. Uh, 
So, so then what is new? Our cons- concern, or are we actually, as you pointed out, moving into an area, and we do move, everything is moving, where there's simply... Uh, thousands of years ago, were, there, there was many strikes. There were many strikes on the Earth, the Moon. I mean, look at the Moon; it's yes. a mess. <laughs> are we moving back into this? And if we are, could it be that suddenly there will be many Earth-crossing uh, uh, asteroids that we ought to worry about? Well, in 1992, Newsweek did a big story on comets and and asteroids and things striking their uh, an issue called doomed. Doomsday science. Exactly. And uh, they said at that time that there is no threat from any known comet or asteroid in the next 200 years. Mm-hmm. That's what they said in 1992. Are they saying that now? No. 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 Precisely the opposite. Uh, we have had, just in the past three or four years, and, and bear in mind that this started sometime before we began to gear up to uh, to watch for these things. Uh, first of all, quite a number of new comets began to appear, among them Hayakataki and the infamous Hale-Bopp. <laughs> um, and in addition to that, we had objects like Chiron pass quite close to the Earth. Then in 1995, we had a small object pass within 60,000 miles of the Earth, in uh, 1996, there were two, uh, the most notable of which was 1996 JA-1, which was large enough to have ended civilization. It wouldn't have extincted life on Earth, but uh, human civilization would not have survived this impact. It would have been too large. It was discovered four days before it passed so close to the Earth, 270,000 miles away, uh, that its orbit was actually perturbed a little bit by Earth's gravity. So, in other words, the next time around, it's going to be in a slightly different place with respect to where it crosses Earth's orbit, correct? Well, yeah, but it won't be back for a long time. And it's not... Good. It, it, the ones that we've already seen aren't the problem. It's the ones we haven't seen. The ones we haven't seen. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing that has worried me, uh, Whitley, and maybe you can comment on this, uh, I recall the Associated Press reporting... Uh, typically a couple of years ago. Well, Earth had a close encounter uh, with an asteroid day before yesterday. That was probably JA-1. There you are. So they discovered that after it had passed. Now, had it hit, uh, we never would have known a thing, or I suppose heard a thing, except maybe a crack of thunder, and that would have been the end of it. Well, well, something, something larger than a few hundred feet across passes the Earth almost once a week at this point. Once a week. Yes, about 40 or 50 objects a year of significant size. Mm. Most of these objects, uh, uh, if they hit the atmosphere, would blow up in the upper atmosphere and, and, and not harm us. If it's a nickel-iron meteor, uh, it could be dangerous. Uh, it, could, it could come all the way down to the surface. Well, comets are easy to track because they're big, dirty snowballs. Yeah, right. They're they're real visible. Yeah, they're they're said they have long tails. Uh, the sun is causing them to be active, and they're very bright. And we see them way ahead of time. Right. These dark rocks that are out there, which oh. may have been. What is the history of an asteroid, Whitley? Was it once a comet that has had all the outside material burned off? Well, the solar system is a real complicated place, and. Uh, uh, it has got a cloud of comets 
uh, in the, very far in the outer solar system, some of which occasionally will uh, come into a in, into an orbit that traverses the near solar system. Such as, these are the ones we see. Uh, uh, closer in, uh, between Mars and Jupiter, there is a group of asteroids, a large area of asteroids, which some have theorized are the remains of a planet that broke up in prehistoric times mm-hmm. uh, because of, uh, for whatever reason. Uh, others uh, have other ideas about what may have caused this asteroid belt, but it's there. And again, some op- sometimes objects come into this belt from... Uh, uh, into the in, in, into an, an uh, orbit close to the inner planet, such as Earth. However, there's also the possibility that there are larger uh, clouds of debris that are orbiting in such big orbits that we're unaware of them. And this is what concerns me, that uh, we may be moving into an area that is uh, dirtier, than, than areas that we've experienced in the recent past. and uh, So in other words, it is actually possible that one day an asteroid would hit, and that would be but only the beginning. In other words, there could be several successive hits. Well, let's, let's run down, first of all, a few things about how this takes place. There are two ways that, that something would impact the Earth. Well, they're really three. The, the first one is a direct head-on impact where the object uh, is perpendicular to the surface and comes directly down. Uh, an object like that, there would be absolutely no warning. It could be traveling at 50,000 miles an hour, and it would just be like a gigantic atomic bomb. We wouldn't even see it? Oh, we'd see it, we'd uh, see but it. not not very, not not uh, before it had it, it detonated. Oh, uh, well, that, that, we'd that's see the outcome of, its, of the strike. All right, so we wouldn't actually I mean, see it headed toward us. Someone might see the outcome of the strike if they were far enough away. So it is true, then, the one that might get you is the one that you might not see. Oh, absolutely. There are two other possibilities. Uh, the more usual case is an object that will, uh, that will come in at an angle and plane across the planet's uh, atmosphere. Uh, there was one in, uh, I believe, August of 1972, which was photographed and filmed all across the, the, the northwestern United States, quite a large object that, uh, that uh, uh, planed through the atmosphere in broad daylight, creating a very bright display. It, was, it, was, it would have been a very dangerous if it had been a perpendicular strike, but it, since it moved through the atmosphere the way it did, it simply burned itself up. What would happen, Whitley, if something, one of these planet-sized killers, say a mile in size, were to plane through the atmosphere? Is there not some thinking that there was once an atmosphere on Mars and that what may have killed the atmosphere on Mars might have been something exactly like that? It might not have hit Mars, or it may have, but it could have planed through the atmosphere, literally destroying the atmosphere as it went. Well, it could have. That would have had to have been a, something along the lines of a gigantic meteor swarm, and uh, we've uh, we've never been hit. We've hit, been hit by some very dramatic meteor showers, but nothing like that. Um, you know, it's interesting that how just how much debris actually is absorbed by the planet is a couple of tons a day of material from outer space uh, actually comes into the atmosphere in one way or another. 
whether it's in the form of meteor strikes, which are just virtually constant. I mean, sure. They're, they're going on all the time. matter of fact, last night we had quite a meteor shower, and we had quite a show out here in the desert. Well, you know, um, the... Uh, the uh, National UFO Reporting Center, Peter Townsend's organization, uh, Peter called me the other day and said that there was just an exceptional uh, number of meteors being reported mm -hmm. worldwide and mm -hmm. that they were orange fireballs with green tails, which That's is right. one, one type of meteoric uh, pattern. But the interesting thing about these is that they're incoming from all different directions uh, of the compass meaning it's not an organized shower. So we're, uh, we're in a period of high activity. It, we are apparently, yes, in a period of high well, let's go. Let's, let's run down the third. We didn't talk about the third All right. type of strike, which is this is similar to the, to the uh, object that hit uh, uh, Jupiter a few years ago. Oh, yes. Which, uh, which dis as, it, as it, it came into prox the proximity of Jupiter, it went into a degrading orbit around the planet, and then uh, disintegrated into a string of of objects, and then uh, impacted Shoe, the planet in, in series. Shoemaker right. Levy Nine, I believe. Shoe, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is the the kind of uh, of uh, thing that's more likely to happen. A uh, an object uh, called an Arjuna, which will follow the planet's orbit and. Mm -hmm. Be, ca be captured by the uh, gravity and go into a degrading orbit, and you would have plenty of warning of that in the sense that, you know, the object would be very visible for a period of weeks or days as it came slowly closer and closer and closer, and we... Imagine, the, imagine the social implications of oh, that. It would be hard. Th th that would be a very, very difficult time for mankind, especially yes, if would. we had no way of of deflecting it. The danger being that if you hit it with missiles, uh, you may break it up and make the situation worse, not better. And I imagine the range would be from party to prey. Yes, that's right. I it wonder how the human animal would react under such circumstances. Uh, that, that would certainly be the range. I wonder if you'd have more partiers or pray, uh, people out there praying. I think it would depend on how close it got. <laughs> well, uh, the closer it got, the more prayers there would be. Uh, no doubt. Uh, kind of like an Ash Wednesday conversion. Yes. Well, today is Ash Wednesday. Yes. Uh, there are uh, the types of collisions that are that are that are the most common are uh, objects that are that are about thirty feet or so across. They are. This is an object that's the equivalent of about fifty thousand tons of TNT. And most of them do not reach the surface. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of thing you see on an ordinary basis. Uh, you might have seen a few of those in your life. The one you saw the other night could have been something along these lines. Well, you remember the one about a month ago, uh, Whitley. Uh, it was a giant green fireball widely uh, reported along the West Coast. Yes, and it streaked and in. This Southwest as well, and it is believed that it did in fact impact uh, on the Earth, and I believe that NASA off is offering a five thousand dollar reward for anybody yeah. who manages to get a hunk of this. Actually, it's a low price. Uh, if 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 you do find it, you should hold very out, definitely hold put it up for the highest bidder. You'll get more than five thousand. Uh huh. I'm, I'm sure you would. Uh, oh, yeah. So it's there out there somewhere. Other, there will be other institutions willing to pay more. 
Believe me. <laughs> Including the Strieber Foundation, no doubt. No, no, I wouldn't be interested, but I think there are a lot of universities that would be eager to get their hands on it. Uh-huh. And would have a better, a bigger budget than NASA does. That's it, just a guess. It is also thought that comets and or asteroids might be the, the, uh, the cedars of life. That, uh, they may in fact carry the basic, uh, uh, building blocks of life from one, uh, part of the, uh, cosmos to another. You think that might be so? Well, I think it's a distinct possibility. I think uh, I think we're we're learning that the universe is is interlinked in all kinds of extraordinary ways. And uh, uh, if the Mars rock that we have uh, does indeed have uh, uh, tiny particles of life on it, it could be, for example, that there has been. Um, there has been we're, if we're going to go to Mars and find life forms that are familiar to us here because of the fact that the two planets have been trading bits of or were trading bits of debris so often in the distant past that they in effect seeded each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, it's a very interesting story about the uh, Venus flytrap, I believe that is a, a, an unusual plant that lives in a small valley, I think only in one place in the world, in, yes. in, in, uh, in Rhode Island or somewhere, some unlikely spot like that, that uh, is so genetically different from everything else on the planet that it's been theorized it may be, of, have been, uh, uh, I mean, just sort of jokingly theorized that it may have, it may have been something that dropped uh, uh, in a... It came via meteor. I think that the uh, that movie that was made uh, uh, about the man-eating plant that was made eventually into a musical was based oh, yes. on that idea when that story was current in the newspapers. Woodley, if we had something uh, a planet killer, a killer asteroid, something a mile in size or bigger that would uh, literally uh, wipe out mankind. Oh, we don't. Well. Yeah, that um, could happen. Uh, yeah, I'm saying if if we had noticed that such an asteroid was headed to Earth, probably as they're going to depict in this NBC movie coming up, mm-hmm. would you think that we would be better off knowing that it was coming, having some warning, or would mankind subjectively be better off not knowing, just having it happen? You mean if it was literally was the end of the world? That's right. Well, personally. On a personal basis, I would want to know. You would want to know. Although I think that it, there might be. Uh, it's very un. It's impossible to predict what the average individual would do. I do know this: that when there is a great catastrophe, people tend to, to band together. That the kind of wild mayhem uh, that is sort of predicted uh, conventionally in the movies and so forth doesn't mm-hmm. happen. But the problem is. It also crossed, I thought about this a lot. I was, uh, I had worked at one point on a novel about this very subject, and, um, I thought to myself, what would I really do? Are there things that I might want to just do? In other words, could I go wild under those circumstances? And the answer is frankly yes. I'd still want the warning, but I think that, that it would cross every mind on the planet that, hey, I've got, Ten days or a month or three months, and after that, it's over. I'll tell you a very, very interesting story that one of my listeners told me about how the credit card companies would handle it 
if one of those killer asteroids were headed for the Earth, because she actually picked up the phone and called the credit card company, and they gave her an answer, and it was kind of intriguing. I'll tell you about it when we come back from the break. Whitley Strieber is my guest. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 12, 1997. Somewhere in time. Tonight, featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 12, 1997. From the high desert. Good morning, everybody. My guest is Whitley Strieber. We're discussing the possibility, or perhaps the probability, or the inevitability, that uh, eventually something, a big, hard rock, generally called an asteroid, is going to strike Earth. Are we moving into an area where, where there are more of them, where, when it becomes more likely? Whitley says, perhaps so. And Whitley, I want to tell you a story, if I might. Uh, one time we did a sort of a speculative show about asteroids, this was some number of years ago, and a lady on our behalf the next day called one of the major credit card companies. I won't name it. Uh, she wanted to know what their attitude would be if we had several days or even weeks of warning of a major asteroid, a uh, life-ending asteroid, hitting the Earth. And the credit card company, to their benefit, took it seriously. And they went to the management. And the management called the lady back and said, well, I, I guess our attitude would be we'd let everybody run their cards up as much as they wanted, based on the following. If the asteroid hit... It would end all life, so everything would be academic. Who cares? But on the at least outside probability, the asteroid would not hit. They would uh, uh, then uh, uh, have a great deal of money coming from the American <laughs> public who, who had been on a giant binge. In, in many ways, the asteroid missing under those circumstances would be the second greatest catastrophe in human history. <laughs> it certainly <laughs> would. The, it would. There would be an, uh, a hangover, I think, to end all hangovers at that point. Uh, lots of regrets, lots mm. of broken marriages. I can consider all kinds of uh, possibilities, and I'm sure that would all occur. I, I, I'm very interested in what human behavior would be like given a week or two or even a month of warning. Uh, of course, our military would be out there doing the best they could. Yes. 
Uh, well, well, maybe they wouldn't. Maybe they wouldn't. I think the, the, the longer the warning, the, the, the more probably bizarre behavior and less panic there would be, because I think people would try to be very hard to accommodate one another's last wishes. Last wishes. But a lot of last wishes would accommodate things generally not socially acceptable Acceptable when we've got a lot more time. I, I think a lot of us would be doing things that weren't, that weren't socially acceptable. I think that society would change very profoundly under those circumstances and that, that, that we would probably find out whole new things about each other and about mankind that we had not known before and uh, would take that to... All right, graves, now, now crossing into your field for a moment, you have had encounters with people from elsewhere. You've had encounters with ETs. What do you call them, Whitley? I just call them visitors. I've never visitors. been able to prove what they were. Art. Uh, I'm quite certain at this point that they're that they they aren't human beings in any conventional framework that we understand that word, but. No, uh, I just I don't know what they are. I mean, I've never been where they came from, so I can't tell you. Is it possible, uh, Whitley? Um, at least fifty percent possible. I've always considered that they would be benign, friendly, and that if something of that catastrophic sort were about to occur, that these beings would step in, and and that would be a great time for them to help us, wouldn't it? Well, there's one way of looking at histories that suggests that from time to time they have stepped in to, to, to human life. Uh, it might be that that, that 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 would happen. It might be that, well, for example, uh, there are plenty of asteroids out there large enough to uh, eliminate all life on Earth completely, totally eliminate it. In all of the billions of years that there has been life on Earth, that has never happened. The opposite is also true, Whitley, if they're not so friendly. Uh, it certainly <laughs> would be easy for them to direct one of these uh, yes. great dark rocks uh, coursing through space in our direction and end life. Just a, well, little, that's right. a that's simple that's... little orbit change, that's all it would take. But then, again, you know, you think that 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 throughout the history of the planet there's every evidence that this um, that this when it's happened it's happened kind of at random when i was working on the secret school one of the one of the most interesting things that happened was memories of a series of visions that were that suggested that impacts were central to the whole process of evolution on earth uh uh because what it, in the past has happened when they've occurred is that afterwards instead of you'd think that that after one of these tremendous disasters when life was just almost totally wiped out that what would come next would be things building up from the cellular level and mm -hmm. simple creatures starting all over again from scratch crawling That's not how it works crawling out of the ocean again you know the prophets uh... when you look at the prophets like laurie toy and others it is their view that when this asteroid hits, sadly, it, uh, I'm sitting here, I think, in Pahrump, in southern Nevada, at, according to the prophets, ground zero. <laughs> really? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Southern Nevada is supposed to be the place, and generally, if you look at a, the theme of a lot of motion pictures, uh, Las Vegas generally gets wiped out by whatever it is. That's right. It does indeed. Yeah, <laughs> there's something about Las Vegas that 
seems to invite that. Well, there's where the, that's the religious angle. Because I think a lot of people feel that if any, any place deserves to get wiped out, Whitley, it's sinful Las Vegas and, and southern Nevada. I don't know how we ended up getting fun and sin mixed up together. Uh, but uh, well, I always somehow have I thought that sin was supposed to be something evil. I mean, if you killed somebody, that was sin. But it's kind of bled over, and if you have fun, it's also a sin. Why is that? Well, I don't know. Most things that are fun are sinful. Uh, well, that's what they said. According to, according to the religious, uh, there's absolutely no question about it. Yeah, and if right. the asteroid were com coming, there'd be a lot of fun and a lot of sin going on. <laughs> yeah, well, I might try to do some things in Las Vegas that I would not, never otherwise attempt uh, if uh, if I knew there was an asteroid coming. It's true. <clears throat> I well, mean, I mean, I might I might take some 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 pretty heavy odds. Why not? Uh, now, there's another interesting question, and that is how the Las Vegas uh, odds makers would approach this entire thing. I'm sure they'd take bets on it, Whitley. I'm sure they would. And uh, with regard to large bets made on sporting events, I suppose their attitude would be much like their credit companies. So what the hell? But, you know, I think that, uh, that most people would become very concerned about themselves and their immediate surroundings, the people around them. They would want to enact what was left of their lives in whatever particular way. I don't think, for example, you'd find policemen staying on the job or the military uh, remaining organized or anything like that. I don't think companies would remain organized. I think there would be a, a whole different people's perspective would shift very rapidly. It's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you'd see that. I don't, I don't think those institutions, like I don't think Las Vegas would continue because there'd be no... There'd be no dealers around. I mean, who would be who would be working under those circumstances? Who would want? Who would well, you know, it? it's funny you say that, uh, Whitley. But as a matter of fact, uh, Las Vegas casinos with floods and earthquakes, and even civil disruption when there was a giant crowd after the uh, big riots in L.A. There, there were riots going on uh, as well in Las Vegas, and as the crowds approached downtown Las Vegas, the rioting crowds. Trust me, Whitley. People were in there. Pulling the pulling the uh, the handles uh, on the machines and yeah. everything went on roughly as normal. It's the one thing that seems to not be disturbed at all. It's strange. It's a strange psychology. At any rate, Whitley, um, I, I think it is important to understand. Have you personally come to the conclusion that we are coming into an area of space that is littered, if that's the right word, with more of these giant objects well there's a possibility that that's the case and i come at this from a totally different perspective in the sense that the one of the things that that i look at is the following uh approximately 12,000 years ago about halfway exactly halfway around the zodiac from now there Something happened to this planet. Mm -hmm. I don't say that there was an impact, because I can't say that for certain, but something happened to this planet, something that changed things fundamentally, and they've stayed changed. I'll tell you what I mean. The northern Arctic, from Siberia through Alaska, for example, is full of the frozen remains of mammoths and all other large animals, not particularly fast-moving animals, that got caught 
in some kind of very, very sudden change. These animals are found routinely with uh, food still in their mouths, with uh, uh, grasses and things in their stomachs that have not grown in that area since the day they died. Uh, they find frozen trees, like they're, they found once in, in Alaska, uh, uh, in the uh, north slope of Alaska, an apple tree frozen in bloom. Frozen on, in bloom. So something it, occurred instantaneously. On a fine June day, 12,000 years ago, something incredible happened to this earth. We don't know yet what it was. There's all kinds of theories about it, uh, ranging from uh, a theory that was... Uh, that was held by uh, by uh, by Einstein uh, and believed in it was uh, uh, Charles Hapgood's theory that the uh, that the crust of the Earth sometimes can be made to shift very suddenly. Um, this is a, this was the theory that he promulgated in 1958 and that Einstein agreed with. But subsequently, scientists have felt that the equatorial bulge makes the crust much tighter than that, so it couldn't really do that. They're not sure. But the fact remains that we have, from that era also dating, all of these flood myths. There is a, a, uh, an, a an ancient uh, uh, South American text called the Popova that describes a day in which uh, the sun shot like a comet down into the southern sky. Uh, so it may be that one fine June day... Uh, with everything blooming and life seeming uh, to have uh, a no end and being beautiful, that it would suddenly, without warning, simply end. Yes. Now, it, 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 yeah, exactly. It, it, well, what happened then was it didn't end, but it, it changed. certainly changed. Mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a major catastrophe. And uh, the, 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 incidentally, the, since then, the planet has been in decline in terms of the number of different species on it ever since the 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 extinctions have never stopped well i think that uh, it is my contention as you know and you may want to address this uh that we are in decline period socially economically politically in every single area of human endeavor uh whitley we are in decline things are rapidly heating up they're changing yes. and they're moving toward how i don't know Something. Well, look I call at the situation quick. we're in right now. We're, the planet is filling up with human beings, and, and at the same time, uh, the economies of many parts of the world are getting much more complex. People are getting richer. That's uh, in South America, in Asia, all over the world. In ten inside of ten years, if only the prosperous, the middle class. The upper class in China mm -hmm. get automobiles. That will mean that there will be 100 million new cars in China that aren't being used in China that are not being used in China right now. And at some point, something basic in the system is going to stop it's working. It's going to give. Oh, absolutely. It's going to give. I don't know what it'll be. It will give. These third world nations, uh, what we talk about as the third world now, want what we have. And long before they're going to be able to get it, the earth is not going to be able to sustain the change. As a matter of fact, uh, right. what we have right That's now right. industrially is straining it. If the entire world were operating at the pace we are right now, there, it, well, it won't happen. Well, when I was, in it, getting back to, the, to, this, to this other thing, the, 
the fact is that we don't really know what the zodiac is. We do know this. It's a calendar which, which measures a 26,000-year cycle divided up into 12 2,140-year segments, which are, the, which are the, the, the various houses of the zodiac. We know also that the event that I was just describing happened approximately halfway down the zodiac from now. Does, is the zodiac a, a calendar made by somebody who's, who was so utterly destroyed by whatever happened back then that we have only the shadow, most shadowy memory of their existence in the legends of things like Atlantis that was intended as a warning about some kind of a cycle? Is that why the, uh, the uh, 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 transition from Pisces to Aquarius is one of the most dra- dramatic ones in the zodiac, and, and predicts more change. In other words, you go from a water sign to an air sign at this point. Uh, there's only one other place in the zodiac where there is so dramatic a change, and that's twelve thousand years ago. The other, the other uh, end of it. Uh, was it intended to warn us that the same dramatic change could happen now? Because we're it, there's a twelve some kind of a 12,000-year cycle involving a very dirty area of space. In other words, we're right back at that point now. So if that is true, here we are. Exactly. And and uh, unfortunately, is it because we're better able to detect these objects that we're seeing more of them, or are there more out there? We just don't know the answer to that question. We, we know that in 1992... Uh, uh, science obviously thought that we would not have a chance of being being uh, uh, impacted by any objects in 200 years. Now they seem to be flying past every few days. Well, uh, that's a bit changes. of an exaggeration. I mean, we're they're flying. There are significant objects appearing every every few months. Really, I guess that that would be accurate to say. That All right, we are observing new significant objects every few months. All right, hang tight for a second, Whitley. We'll be right back to you. Back now to Texas and Whitley Strieber. Whitley, we've only got a couple of minutes before the top of the hour, but another topic we wanted to cover this morning uh, is absolutely what's going on in the Antarctic. I have got story after story after story. Yeah, something's going on down there. We do need to talk about that. And apparently the, the Larsen Ice Shelf, Yes. Which is big, what, greater than 4,000 4, square miles? 4,600 square miles. That's or big. it was. It's probably smaller now. Uh, is what? What is it doing, Whitley? Breaking up? Well, the prediction is it is, it is going to disintegrate quite soon. Disintegrate? Uh, it, it shows every evidence of being in an advanced state of, of, uh, of decline. Now, um, just uh, 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 the one thing that you and I both have been struggling with is what this is going to mean. Yes, I think I've got some information about that. All right, so we will talk about that. Now, a lot of people have talked about rising ocean levels and that kind of thing, and I think just from the Larsen Ice Shelf, there is not going to be a big problem in that area. No, because this ice is already floating. But, but that's, that, that isn't uh, the problem. Is not the in terms of of, of uh, rising sea levels. The problem is the ice sheets behind these ice shelves are held in place to an extent by the ice shelves, and when the ice shelf breaks up, then the sheet behind it that's over that's over the continental landmass is going to start calving directly into the sea, and that 
is going to cause a, a rise in sea levels. Um, it also is an indicator that something very basic on Earth is changing. Oh, uh, yes. Now, absolutely. it may well be that we've gone through ice ages uh, where there's a big buildup and where then it warms up again. I don't know. It may have come and gone in the past, but at the moment it appears to be going, and that's kind of like the frogs with the many legs. It's an indication that there is a big change of some kind on the way. Well, there are very, very significant the, the, the uh, breakup of this ice shelf is uh, contrary to what seems to be out on the Internet. It's a significant environmental event, and it has all kinds of implications with regard to the weather and, uh, 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 and other things as well. But uh, primarily, I mean, there are weather-related implications here. And uh, All right, I, I want to give everybody a chance as we go into the news and before we come back and really talk about this. I found a website that has photographs of the Larsen Ice Shelf and the changes that occurred, and this is, gee, a couple of years old now. But if you want to go up there and take a look, my website, which also is access to Whitley's website, will get you, as you'll see there, to uh, photographs of what we're about to talk about, the Larsen Ice Shelf. And so I would recommend you go on up there and take a look. It's one of the lead items, and it's what we're going to be talking about when we come back. So if you have a computer, point it toward my website, www.artbell.com. And as usual, we've got the, uh, the goods for you up there. And if you want to see what it looks like, I believe it's a United Kingdom website you're going to be linking to. Uh, you just click on that, and you'll go zooming across the ocean. And there, my friend, will be the Larsen Ice Shelf, and you will see changes that occurred up until a couple of years ago. Just wait until you hear what's going on now. From the high desert, I'm Art Bell. My guest is Whitley Strieber. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight, featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 12, 1997. presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired February 12, 1997. Top of the morning, Whitley Strieber is my guest, best-selling author, millions of books out there. The Secret School is his latest. We're talking about asteroids, and we're talking about the Larsen Ice Shelf, and we're going to touch on asteroids once again, then proceed into what's going on, and it's very serious, in the Antarctic. And if you want to see what's going on, we've got a link on the web page to a, a location in uh, England, Great Britain, which has photographs of the Larsen uh, ice flow there. 
And it's quite amazing. Uh, you've got to get up and take a look. It's on my website, www.artbell.com, and you can also link to Whitley's from there, Whitley's website. Well, all right. Uh, we're about, in fact, we'll go back to Whitley right now. Whitley Streber uh, near San Antonio, Texas. Whitley, before we uh, completely leave the subject of uh, asteroids, I've got several faxes. And maybe it'll clear things up for some of the general public that doesn't follow this. For example, Brian in Salt Lake City says, Please ask Whitley why an asteroid hitting the Earth would create the same destructive power as 50,000 tons of TNT. I thought these things were just big, dumb rocks. Well, uh, that's actually a very small one. That's only 30 feet across. Well, what you're looking at is uh, is something that uh, that is... Uh, uh, moving at upwards often of 50,000 miles an hour and is solid uh, rock or solid nickel or nickel iron and um, uh, some of them aren't but uh, m uh, many of them are and that for example uh, something uh, 300 feet across is uh, would have the equivalent force of, of a 12 megaton explosion megaton megaton and would uh, Devastate an area of about 60 uh, over a uh, 60 miles away, 70 miles away. There would be there would be significant devastation. Keeping the scales in mind, kilo is thousand, mega is million. Yeah, yeah, it would be really extraordinary. Uh, it would be enough uh, to completely destroy a city, or if it would be likely, it would hit in the in the ocean. Uh, it would. Create significant tidal waves in a near term area. In other words, any islands or coastlines nearby. And if it hit in a in a uh, uh, in a shallow area, then the waves would be significant. All right. Here's another one. Um, it is my understanding, Whitley, that there are not any more Earth-orbiting asteroids now than there ever were. We are simply spending more time looking for them now. Therefore. We're hearing more about them. Well, that's that's very that could be true. Uh, there's no way to know that whether or not that's true at, at the present time. We do seem to be seeing more objects than we've seen in the past, though, especially with regard to comets. And uh, comets being very visible, uh, uh, we are certainly recording the appearance of an, any number of new comets just presently. Uh, I don't think it's it's fair to conclude that there are more objects uh, like asteroids and meteors out there now than there than there have been previously, but it's also true that there's no way to know for certain. All right. Uh, here's another good one, Art. I think Whitley will agree that there may be a, quote, conditioning, end quote, effort underway with regard to UFOs. Could this also be occurring with regard to a possible asteroid hit? NBC's two-part asteroid movie was preceded last week by three minutes to impact on the Discovery Channel. There is an upcoming NBC special titled Asteroids Deadly Impact at the end of February. TBS will be hitting us with fire from the sky in March. And earlier tonight, CNN reported that scientists think that uh, the meteor that killed the dinosaurs 65 million years ago might have actually hit off the coast of Florida. Is somebody trying to condition us for the possibility of a disaster that most of us can't even imagine. Lewis and Sandy. Well, in addition to that, uh, last uh, month in uh, the uh, in popular science, uh, 
cover story was about, uh, oh no, I'm sorry, it was about the ice. Uh, the New Yorker had a cover story about the possibility of, uh, of an impact as well. It's really on people's minds right now to an extraordinary degree. It's quite true. And, uh, uh, it's funny the way it's happened like that. I know that, uh, uh, it, when I, it, there's a lot about it in my book too. I mean, I, I, I don't know why that would be. I'm certainly not part of any, consciously part of any conditioning effort and yet, a good third of my book is about this subject. Why that would be. I was even writing a novel, as I said earlier, about uh, an impact, and I stopped because there seemed to be so much about it already that my novel would be all old hat. Okay, well, you, time it came out. All right, you tell us then. You wrote about it. You wrote the book. Why yeah. did you write so much about it? I don't honestly know. I mean, it's a very strange thing, and I would be very interested to to get a group of the people who have been, I mean, after all, uh, uh, some writers, all of these uh, uh, different things must have started with writers and directors. That's why they always start. Uh, people decided to write about this or to make films about it and so on. And so everyone seems to have decided to do it at the same time. I don't feel like I was part of any, any conditioning process. I, my guess is that the uh, that none of the writers do, but somehow or another we've we've all ended up doing this at the same time. Yes. Uh, well, it's not known until now, Whitley, but this has been nagging at me for a number of years, and for about the last uh, eight months, I have been working nearly on a daily basis on a book that is going to be coming out in a couple of months called The Quickening. I finally decided to write the book, Whitley, and uh, it's the first time. Oh, well, I'm I glad did. you did, Art. I encouraged you to before, you know, and. Well, I did. It's been uh, a very, very, very great deal of work, but it nagged at me. It's something I had to do. I said I wasn't going to write another book, but this nagged at me so hard, it was in there, and it had to get out, and so I started work on it. And uh, it's a significant book in uh, 330 or 40 pages. It's going to be a big book, and it documents what I think is going on. I still don't know where it's leading. Maybe it's leading to an asteroid hit. Maybe it's leading to a giant social disruption. Maybe it's leading to a virus that'll get let loose. But I just, I know in my gut, my heart, my head, that something's coming, Whitley. It, it can't go on this way. It's, it's, it, we, we are in a society that can't prosper without expanding at a time when expansion is beginning to become impossible. And therefore, things have got to change. Sure. And it is absolutely not going to be like this in 50 years, no matter what the agency of, of change is. I hope it will be peaceful change, but there are so many things uh, out there. And the, as, as the human population gets larger and makes more and more demands on the planet, in a sense, the whole planet becomes more fragile because any – we could have uh, – absorbed like a, a pretty significant impact in an isolated part of the world 50 years ago or 100 years ago, but there aren't any isolated parts of the world left anymore. Nothing is isolated. Everything is interconnected. Everything is important. Everything is needed. And in that sense, it's much more fragile because like the type of object I was just describing a few minutes ago, the 12 megaton, uh, something like that hits the planet about every... Uh, 50 or 100 years. It's the Tunguska explosion. If you accept that it was an incoming uh, object, was a comet or asteroid of some kind, was that type of object about that size. 
and uh, they, they're rather common. I mean, they're, they're they don't they're not uncommon at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, objects the size three hundred feet across hit the planet every five thousand years or so. If uh, an object like that, a three hundred foot across object, hit the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, there would be tidal waves all around the rim of the Atlantic, ranging upwards of two hundred and fifty to three hundred feet. Well, look, it's not just the media. I, I think you and I talked about this, or I may have mentioned it, but I got the following facts. Uh, hi, Art. I was wondering if you've read the instructions that come with the new emergency broadcast system, or whatever they call it now. According to Carl Wigglesworth of WOAI in San Antonio, Texas, they give the reasons for having the emergency broadcast system as, one, nuclear war, and two, impending asteroid collision with Earth. Does somebody know something we should all know? Well, that's very interesting. I I got that fax, too, and tried to call Carl today and find out more about this. I missed him, unfortunately, on the phone. Uh, Previous, that would be a a change, a major change in the in the emergency broadcast certainly would protocols if 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 that's the case, Uh, because uh, that that would be something new. On the one hand, on the other hand, you can always say that. Uh, Edward Teller has been beating the drum since the early 90s for, for developing some kind of, uh, of, uh, screen to protect us from asteroids and he suggests that we, we, uh, develop an atomic bomb or a hydrogen bomb ten times more powerful than anything we have now. In other words, we keep him and all of his, his people in the, in the nuclear community and, at, at work doing this. Uh, so it could be that the drum is sort of being beaten by people who want to, who who are see their 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 employment running out because the Cold War is ending and want to shift into some another area and they they see very truthfully that this is a useful area that they could shift their talents to and they're trying. Gee, to in other words, a good reason to make bigger bombs. Well, at the same time, I mean, uh, it 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 wouldn't cost very much uh, to. True. To build a space guard system, and uh, it, 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 it it it's something that, in all probability, would never be used. But if it if it did become necessary, uh, we wish we had done it. If we didn't have it, that's mm, for sure. That's for sure. Well, it may not take an asteroid strike, and that brings us to the second topic. And again, go check my webpage, folks. You want to see what the um, Larson uh, ice shelf looks like, looked like, and now looks like. It looked like a couple of years ago. Photographs are up there. Um, what in the world is going on? I've got an Associated Press article here that began the whole thing on the Larson ice shelf, and it is not ambiguous, uh, Whitley. They're saying no. they're saying it is breaking up. It is going to completely yes. collapse. Completely collapse. Well, one of the uh, one of the world's leading glaciologist is Rudy Del Valle, the, uh, of the uh, director of, of geology for the Argentinian Antarctic Institute. And he is very familiar with the uh, Antarctic ice. All this man does is study this ice. Mm-hmm. And he has made, over the past couple of years, a series of increasingly dire predictions about the ice and has never been wrong. Uh, he is now predicting that the Larsen Ice Shelf is going to collapse within the next couple, few years. Within two years, he says. Two years. Absolutely, and uh, we will see this happen. Uh, 
what will its significance be? That's the question, and it was very interesting as I searched over the Internet, as I'm sure you did, trying to get some answers to that question. It was not easy to do, because the, nobody knows. Nobody knows what will happen. Nobody knows what will happen. What, what it will do is this. It will send millions of tons of fresh water into the Antarctic Sea. And, uh, uh, it is not, by the way, the largest ice shelf uh, in the Antarctic. The largest ice shelf is the Ross Ice Shelf, which is also not, incidentally, in very good condition. Um, it, it, the, uh, this particular, as ice shelves go, this is, not, this is a smaller one. Yeah, people are going to say, and inevitably I'm going to get faxes, so I'll stop it before it begins. Look, uh, this ice is primarily already underwater, in effect, or the main body of the ice is well, it's underwater. It's floating on water. It's floating on water, yeah. yeah. So there, there will be some additional water as that which is, uh, is above water now becomes part of the water. That will add to it, but uh, it's not going to be a great change. And, and, and No, it isn't going to cause the sea levels to rise much, but the, uh, if at all. And, but, but, but it is going to mean the following. First of all, it is going to change the water temperature and the, and the salinity of the Antarctic Ocean significantly. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it will communicate into the northern hemisphere remains to be seen. However, I did discover the following. The, uh, the uh, uh, dilution of the oceans is a very significant potential problem from this. When you say dilution, you mean freshwater added to salt? Adding of freshwater to the oceans, because the uh, there is a mechanism that has been identified, a probable mechanism, by which uh, uh, the oceans are periodically, dramatically changed in um, in their salinity, apparently because of melting ice. And it had been thought in the past that uh, these changes were s- slow. The process was slow. Mm-hmm. But it has been discovered that changes in the temperature of the planet of up to 7 degrees Celsius occur routinely with over a 3 to 4 decade period, a 30 to 40 year period. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, if the uh, this diluted water is moved up by ocean currents into the North Atlantic, it could change the direction that the Gulf Stream flows in. And if that happened, it could really just very quickly uh, transform Norway and England into climates that are similar to the climate of Greenland. Uh, that is the worst case scenario. Nobody thinks that would happen, but nobody knows. The point is we're, I think, playing with fire when we allow situations like this to occur because of, apparently because of, of, of emissions, uh, uh, carbon dioxide emissions being made by man. Well, I was about to say, how do we stop them? Well, uh, we have been, there have been any number of uh, of uh, uh, attempts to stop the 130 nations got together uh, in uh, Berlin in in April of 1995 to 
to discuss limiting uh, carbon dioxide emissions hmm. to prevent catastrophes like this. They did nothing. The uh, the uh, Maldive Islands and uh, some of the other, the Comoro Islands, I believe it was, begged the other nations to do something about this because these countries are in danger of disappearing. They're in danger of being completely inundated in this. In this. The president of the Maldives went and, uh, I mean, his country, his highest point is 10 feet above sea level, so you can see why he's concerned. Of course. And uh, 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 there has been very little response. Uh, there was an Earth Summit conference in Rio in 1992. Uh, there was they're just it's it's just not going to happen. We're you know, in, interestingly, uh, uh, Whitley, there was uh, there is presently um, a new regulation being contemplated by the EPA that would shut down lawnmowers and people out doing barbecues and all that sort of thing. In other words, really getting strict. Uh, but what they're saying is, look, we're not living up to the present regulations we have. There's absolutely no point in piling on new regulations that nobody's going to abide by anyway. It's ridiculous lawmaking, feel-good yes. lawmaking, because we're not going to change. And if we're not going to change, then what's coming is inevitable. Isn't it? If snow melts and things like the collapse of the earth of the, of the of this ice shelf cause a decline in the salinity of the ocean it is going to change ocean currents dramatically and we're going to lose a lot of crop growing areas as well as possibly have situations occur as has happened many times in the past in earth history where there are sudden changes in the in, in 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 the climate, especially in the northern latitudes, that mm -hmm. render areas that are now inhabited uninhabitable. Well, heaven knows we're not seeing any climate climate change, are we? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, I'm sitting down here in San Antonio on a cold, rainy day. It's uh, I think that we had we had an, one of the coldest days in history today in San Antonio. And incidentally, the reason uh, probably that these extremes are taking place, we're having. 1996 was the hottest year on record. Now we're having one of the coldest winters on record. Extremes, Whitley. Lots it's, of extremes. Exactly. All right. Hold tight right there. We're at the bottom of the hour. Shortly, we will get to the phone. Stay right where you are. Whitley Strieber is my guest. I'm Art Bell. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 12th, 1997.
You're listening to Art Bell's Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 12th, 1997. Good morning. My guest is Whitley Strieber. And he'll be back in a moment. We are discussing all sorts of things from asteroids to an ice shelf that is about to be destroyed. Something we should worry about? Part of the natural course of things? Or something we're causing? I don't know. All right, back now to Whitley Strieber. We will shortly begin to... uh, uh, to take phone calls. Um, Whitley, on top of the ice shelf uh, about to crack up, break off, and what then, I suppose, melt, um, we've got additional ecological changes like the frogs with many legs and eyes where yes. there ought not be and all kinds of awful things going on. And um, I'm not a tree hugger, Whitley. You know, I've always been pretty much a political uh, conservative economically and socially to some degree. Um, However, a number of years ago, I began to realize that a lot of the political rhetoric that was aimed at environmentalists was not scientifically motivated at all, but rather politically uh, and economically motivated. And I I began to regard it as a bunch of bunk, and I, I do today. And I tend toward believing, for example... The ozone depletion. There's no question about it, Whitley. We have had spacecraft up measuring the depletion. Yeah, it's, it's so, definitely there. So of the Russians, it's not a political thing. It's a real thing. How we handle it may be political, but it's really occurring. Well, we're having. Uh, we're going to have to face the the consequences of a lot of things, and the real question is, with regard to all of these things, is how do we ensure that there's a world worth living in for our kids? That, that, and given the fact that there are so many of us on the planet that, that even if every person on this planet was, was an absolutely fanatical tree hugger, we would still, just because there are so many of us, be causing dramatic changes in the way nature functions, and some of those changes are not good for us. Uh, in this particular case, we're going to see what it means for this ice shelf to 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 collapse. It's not going to be the end of the world. Uh, it is going to uh, do things that are not going to help us, and we're going to live with this. Hopefully, the other shelves, the bigger ones, like the Ross Ice Shelf, will will, will not follow suit, although I must add that they, they they show every evidence of being under tremendous stress as well. What if it does? What if literally all of the ice in the Antarctic over a number of years uh, breaks off and melts? Then what? Well, then you have, uh, if, if the Antarctic became de-iced, you would have a 200-foot increase in sea level worldwide. Uh, 200 feet? Yeah, it would be uh, disastrous in the extreme. So, in other words, the majority of our coastal areas, east and west, in this country... And the majority south, of them is not the word, all of them. They'd, they'd be every, every, I mean, everything would be underwater. Yeah, uh, yeah, you'd have a massive disaster. Uh, however, I, bear in mind that, that's, that, that, that uh, some of that ice is 25 
million years old and maybe even older. It's not likely to happen that way. However, we do know from the geologic and historical record that there are periods of time when there are sudden dramatic changes on the planet, which we were talking about 12,000 years ago, which we do not really understand at all. We don't understand the mechanism of these changes. We know that, that in the past, areas like England and Greenland have turned, I mean, England and Norway have turned into uh, climates like Greenland in a matter of 20 or 30 years. All right. has happened. I want to ask you a really hard question. Almost all of this that is going on, that is man-made, if it is uh, man-caused, is because there are so many of us yes. trying to lead such an industrial modern life. The answer, if there is one, to reversing that is to have far fewer people. Far here. fewer children, yeah. Now, um, there are various ways to reduce uh, the population, birth control being... I suppose, first, but opposed by the church, uh, yes. opposed uh, for many other reasons uh, worldwide. Now, either it's my feeling, either we can reduce the population, a very unlikely scenario. China can do it because, they, you know, they're, they're dictatorship, and they say you will do the following. But they're actually, even though there are so many of them, they are still a minority, uh, considering the rest of the world's population. Um, or something will do it for us. It whether will. Absolutely. Nature's going to do it if we don't do it. There's no question about that, I don't think, at this point. So then, if Whitley Strieber were the population control czar, and you could literally order anything to happen you wanted to order, what would you do? I'd have to say one-child families. Worldwide? Worldwide, yeah. And then in, in two generations, we'd be, we'd be out of the woods. Uh, uh, you add to that thing... You know, it's little realized, but the, the human beings, the human species, has done a tremendous job of environmental con conservation since the 70s. Uh, that, but that's why we don't have an oil crisis anymore, for example, because we are becoming much, much more efficient. It, uh, it's, it, I wouldn't say that, the, that, that our record is all that bad. No, we things, actually, we've done pretty well, Whitley, but take we it. We have, yeah. But, yeah, but... Whitley. Not well enough, because there's Listen, too many of them. Take a trip to Bangkok, for example. Uh, Mexico uh, City is even closer. There's another the one. Same yeah, thing. Same thing. Uh, in Bangkok, uh, I, I can tell you, because I was there, about 40 or 50% of the traffic police in Bangkok have uh, terminal lung disease because you can almost cut the air. I mean, you can cut the air. Uh, and in most third world countries now, the traffic is unimaginable. You think L.A. is bad. Yes. And the controls uh, on emissions are zero. Zero, right. And they are putting unbelievable things into the air. Yes. And so if it is true, then, that we are changing our climate uh, from what we're putting in the air, as the third world tries to come to where we are, it's going to stop, Whitley. It, that's correct. It will stop. It, it will not. We will not make it the way it's going right now. It has to change. And the probability is that we're going to see the the that nature will make those changes for us to some extent. I don't know how great that will be. Hopefully, we won't get into one of these situations where the whole system just snaps on us. But that there will be a series of 
uh, let's put it this way, things like the Larson Ice Shelf, which if there was ever an early warning when this thing goes, uh, that will be a very significant early warning, I think, I hope. Uh, unfortunately, if it doesn't have any immediate effect on people's lives, they'll just, I'm afraid that they'll simply decide, well, then I guess we don't need the Antarctic. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's, it's like people will say, well, so what? Now, there was a scientist, I think it was about a year ago, who went to the Antarctic. I think you may have even mentioned his name. And he was saying all kinds of, he was saying, oh my God, this is a tragedy. You should yes. see what's occurring. The deep fissures, it's getting ready to go. The entire ice shelf is going to go. And people heard it and they went, wow, and then sort of forgot it. I was down in Auckland, New Zealand in 1989, and uh, everyone in Auckland, the city was complaining that the U.S. Air Force was uh, using the the local uh, uh, airport so extensively day and night that uh, that uh, it was causing disruptions and a lot of noise, and they were protesting to the government about it. And I have had members of my family in the Air Force, and I, I had very little trouble finding out what was going on, and it turned out that they were doing supply missions to to uh, bases in the Antarctic that were observing the ice, and the the, the situation with the Larsen Ice Shelf is only, just, uh, excuse me, but it's the tip of the iceberg. Uh, there's a lot more wrong down there. Uh, there's, uh, uh, for example... We have to differentiate between ice shelves and ice sheets. The sheets are not now floating. They are on land. And uh, one of the things that apparently happens to glaciers is that they get a, a material under them, between the glacier and the, and the surface it's on, that's a kind of a, almost like the consistency of a snow cone would be. You know, in other words, it's not, it's not completely, uh, uh, melted and then the whole thing suddenly slides into the sea. Hmm. And this is a, this is, can be a sudden process. And there's a substantial amount of evidence that that type of material is appearing under certain glaciers and, and parts of the ice sheet in Antarctica. Um, if that happens, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna feel it. I mean, that will be an environmental catastrophe that people will be able to feel because it will cause a change in sea levels. And you can have a situation very easily where something like that causes a change in sea levels of, of five or six inches average worldwide. But then uh, when you have a storm surge, you'll find out that areas of the planet that have not flooded in living memory will be substantially flooded because of that, sea, that rise in sea level. Is, so, it, is it possible that something can occur fairly rapidly? Because, you know, we're yes, mortal there's beings. there's no question about that, I don't think. We're mortal beings, and uh, unless we see rapid change in our lifetime, something fairly dramatic. Hopefully it will be something dramatic, fairly dramatic, but not so dramatic that it kills a lot of people. That's what I'm hoping we will see, enough to, to sober us up and realize, make us realize that we have to start, instead of just looking to the next year or two years or five years, we have to start planning for the next generation or the next few generations because uh, 
mankind is, I mean, we're worth keeping, I think. I, I hope so. Yeah, sure. uh, we look at the, um, the animal mutilations, and that may seem like quite a jump, but let me give you what I think is the best theory regarding them. Linda Moulton Howe reports on them all the time. Surgical cuts, reproductive organs taken out with surgical precision and other parts of animals. Uh, speculation, our military is doing it. I think that's baloney. They can get all the cows they need. They yes. don't need to sneak into some farmer's field in the middle of the night. Best speculation about why it might be going on is that if there are others, they are doing this to environmentally monitor us. Well, I think that the, the key here is the fact that the parts of the animals that are taken are the areas where tissue change, cellular turnover is most rapid. Correct. Mucous membranes and things, as Linda has pointed out. Right. And uh, obviously, somebody is looking for something. And it obviously, I agree with you completely, what a ridiculous thing for the military to go sneaking out in the middle of the night to, to do this when they could just buy the cattle. Now, so there, now there have or been, or even have them donated by simply absolutely. asking the ranchers and saying it was necessary for the national. Now there have been reports, Whitley, of helicopters uh, in these areas either responding to what's happening because there is something in the air, uh, some object uh, in the air, or we know about it and it's being done with our cooperation. Well, I've had the impression for some time that there's a level of cooperation between the government and something else out there. Uh, but whatever that something else is, it's so secretive and so unwilling to interrupt the flow of human life or human culture that it it may be monitoring us, but it's not helping us because it doesn't give us enough information about why it's monitoring us. Mm -hmm. If there's some kind of a problem, why don't they tell us what it is so we can try to correct it instead of sitting back and monitoring affairs and uh, and leaving us in the dark about what the cattle mutilations are. Boy, I wish I had those answers. Well, my, the greatest frustration of my life is having lived, as I have, for ten years with the certain knowledge that something is happening that is extremely unusual in this area and shows every evidence of pointing towards some kind of critical environmental problem or problem with the human species or something that we don't understand and uh, that it won't tell us. Well, then you can imagine two scenarios. One, that they are our friends, and they will step in at the appropriate moment uh, when an asteroid threatens to end all life or when, when, when we threaten to end it by our own actions, and they will step in and somehow assist us, or that they are simply waiting, uh, using the old Star Trek non-intervention policy, uh, knowing that we are about to destroy ourselves, monitoring cattle and so forth, so they might know when that will occur. And then once we're all gone, well, here lies this sterile planet ready for occupation. I think if they were going to step in to help us with regard to the population crisis, it would have happened a 100 years ago. And it didn't. And therefore, because we're, we're past the point of no return on the population crisis. I don't think I don't think any stepping in right now would help. So I mean, if, anybody, if anybody did uh, essentially come forward and say, Hi, I'm from Alpha Centauri and I'm here to help you, <laughs> we should regard it as the government makes that statement. I wonder if it's, I wonder if how people would really respond to that. I was on a 
When I was on my author tour for The Secret School last month, which incidentally, to those who watch my website, it's the explanation as to why nothing has changed in a month. I have been very busy. Uh, uh, I was put on a, a Christian broadcasting station. Oh, yes. Uh, and I was on a Nash, it was a Christian network of some kind. I don't know which one. And the amount of screaming, uh, the, uh, the phone lines opened up like a, like, like, like blasts from a shotgun. Mm, all all people, at you, I'm sure. Oh, there were people screaming that the, that the broadcaster should be taken off the air for even having me on the station. Is that so? I mean, the, the fear and the hate, uh, the fear that I was somehow or another in league with demons, it was just, the it devil. was primitive. It was like going back to the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, if someone from Alpha Centauri showed up, there'd be a lot of people who would react to anything they said as being the word of, of, of the devil and to be ignored and opposed at all costs. Well, I'm, I'm, I've always been certain, you know, like in the old earth, the day the earth stood still when the, the saucer came down uh, and the door opened and a little whatever it is comes out. They do comes out. Yeah. Oh, they'd fill them full of so much lead, uh, Whitley. You couldn't yes. put enough military there to protect it. The people would regard it as the devil, as devils, as uh, evil incarnate uh, coming to earth, and they would kill it. On the other hand... Everywhere I went on my author tour, there was one thing that was consistent. In crowd after crowd, as I gave lectures, they were all full of Art Bell fans. So, <laughs> we, <laughs> there's well, another side to the coin. I mean, and those people would listen. They would all listen. They would. Yeah. But we we are a minority. Uh, I'm sorry to say, we really are. And I think we, so, a large minority. And look, when minority. I open my phone lines, even though we're not obviously not Christian oriented, you'll get some of the same thing. That what you're dealing with is the devil, and the doors you're opening are going to listen, uh, uh, lead to our doom. And so you're sort of the leader of the pack, uh, Whitley. That's the way some of the religious right definitely regards you. What do you say to him? Well, that, that the biblical paradigm came from a time when we knew mankind knew very little about the real size of the universe. Now we know more. And if God created only men, demons, and angels, then what is the explanation for all of the extra stuff that he created? Do you know that there are, in the known universe, there are in excess of 10 billion stars for every human creature on this planet. And now why would all of that be necessary? just to create this small little species on one planet. Well, it's not, but we're very we're not. very egocentric and we want to consider ourselves the center of the universe and yet if you look at the earth for example, uh with regard to its placement, we're in the suburbs out here. I mean, you you you've got to look real hard to see where the earth is compared to where most of the planetary action is. Yes. <laughs> we're well, in the serious suburbs, Whitley. We're rare. That is, that is quite clear from the fact that for example, people, we think of, well, there must be billions and billions of Earth-like planets out there, and there probably are. But uh, at the same time, in order for a planet like ours to, to bear life, it has to have a moon in counter-rotation around it. This is an, a life 
bearing machine. All right. Whitley, hold it there. We're at the top of the hour. When we come back, we will open the phone lines. My guest is Whitley Strieber. Stay right where you are. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 12th, 1997. Red roses, too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself... What a wonderful world I see skies of blue And clouds of white The bright blessed day The dark sacred night to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 12th, 1997. Asteroids and ice shake and bake. We're talking with Whitley Strieber. And uh, it's no joke. Uh, the asteroids are real. More and more crossing Earth's orbit. We may be moving into an area where we're going to see a lot more of them than we would want to see. Uh, with regard to the Larsen ice shelf, there is no question about it. It is about to disintegrate. Disintegrate. Uh, we've got several uh, very, very re reliable scientific uh, reports, all of which agree this ice shelf is about to be history. What will it mean for us? Well, that's what we've been talking about, and we're about to turn to the phones, uh, all of which are going like crazy. So coming up in a moment... You and your chance with Whitley Strieber. Well, here's a kind of a neat one, Whitley, and then we'll go to the phones. Arden Whitley, have you considered that locked in that ice, which is thousands and millions of years old, is also bacteria, bacteria and viruses, that have not been exposed to mankind in as much time. Could these long-dormant bacteria not also cause a great effect that we're not at the moment imagining? Joyce in Washington. Well, when we have done cores of deep ice in uh, Greenland, we haven't found that to be the case. Good. Uh, so I don't, I don't say that it's impossible, but uh, at the moment... Uh, we have never un unleashed any unknown bacteria when we've taken those cores out from, from very deep ice, so hopefully that won't happen. But they have found, have they not, Whitley, animals with, as you put it earlier, uh, greenery still in their digestive systems? Oh, yes. Now, that's a different story. Uh, there's, it's very clear that around 10,500 B.C., there was a an unusual event on this planet uh, that that uh, caused the, the the sudden freezing of areas that in uh, what is now the the 
uh, tundra in in, uh, in uh, Siberia and Alaska, uh, the that areas that have never subsequently been unfrozen mm. and that were temperate when the freeze took place. Uh, Graham Hancock's book, uh, Fingerprints of the Gods, uh, goes into this in great detail in a book by Brandon Rose Flamath. I, I forget the title of the book. Also discusses this uh, this whole subject of uh, what happened back then, and their theory is uh, that that the uh, that something changed uh, on the, whether it was an impact or what it was that caused it that caused the planet to actually shift the the, the crust of the Earth Earth to change position. To move about, uh, basically, to, to move south about 2,000 miles, hmm. uh, bringing all of the ice that had been under the North Pole to the south and taking the, uh, a, a, a big portion of the Antarctic continent under the uh, South Pole and causing it to become covered with ice. And at that point, the ice that had been under the North Pole was now at about the latitude of Wisconsin and uh, and Central Canada. It all melted. Temperate. Uh... Yeah. It became, it, it, and and then remelted on the North Pole. The trouble is with this theory is that there doesn't seem to have been enough time. I mean, it seems like the remelting of the polar ice would have been much slower than that, and uh, it would still be the process would still be going on. But something. St- Something happened back then that did kill a great number of animals in uh, in that area, absolutely, and left it permanently cold. So it can happen very quickly. All right, to the phones we go. Let's see what we get. First time caller line, you're on the air with Whitley Strieber. Hello. Hey, Art. I just wanted to say uh, from everybody in Middle Tennessee, we regard you as the president of <laughs> Talk Radio. I thank you. Uh, I had w- one... Uh, thing to say a while back i took a in vitro chemistry course and on in there the professor talked about every, that there's a basic formula in nature itself that nature um whether it's radioactivity or or bacteria in a petri dish there's a basic curve and it's uh i think he called it the bell curve where things grow geometrically to a point and then they stop or they uh, or they severely diminish and taper off and this is true throughout the course of any kind of scientific study I'm sure Whitley um, that's right it is true and and it tells us that there is going to be a mechanism Mm -hmm. that reduces the human population at some point when we trip that wire wherever it is yes and one thing this uh, professor said was that we are right there at that um, kind of um, point of no return, kind of diminishing return point where oh, all of a sudden major changes come about. I mean, I'm talking like 15 to 25 years, and and that's what the professor said. Well, I happen to agree with your professor, and uh, I bet Whitley does too. I, I'll tell you something. Um, I think that it is our job to be spiritually enough, aware enough, to understand this, and we are the only intelligent, truly intelligent creatures on the face of the globe, and if we cannot correct it, then nature is going to take its course, eh, Whitley? That's correct. I'm sure that's true. I feel um, that when, with uh, the what's happening to the Larsen Ice Shelf, we're having an early warning of the way nature will take its course. 
You know, it's an interesting thing that I'd forgotten to mention earlier in the show that uh, I wrote about in uh, the, a book I published in 1988 called Transformation, the, the second of my books about uh, Close Encounter. You sent me a copy of it. <laughs> yeah, of, about um, the Fatima letter. The letter that was allegedly left by uh, a letter of predictions that was opened by Pope John the Twenty Third in 1960. Right. It was supposed to have been made public at the time. Was never made public. In fact, in uh, 1987, the Church denied that the letter had ever even existed. And yet, uh, b- back in 1959 and 1960, there was great interest in the in 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 its opening and. Plenty of news stories to the effect that it had been opened, and the mm-hmm. decision was made not to release the contents. Mm-hmm. I heard in 
that would be a very near thing. Uh, we need to develop a rocket that can deliver that that that, that uh, or, a, or a delivery system that can deliver a medium-sized nuclear weapon millions of miles out in space in order to deflect these objects. I would have a lot of questions also. Uh, thank you, caller. For example, uh, Whitley, let's say that we hit something uh, that was a week or two out with many megatons, uh, that it was a mile in size, would have destroyed the planet. Well, we would then break it up into, I presume... Yeah. We, we, we'd be in trouble. We would be in big trouble if it was that close. Uh, wouldn't we irradiate all of that material, uh, some of which would still be pretty good size, yes. and, and would come down radioactive? We, would, we could e easily create a much worse situation doing that. That's correct, quite correct. <laughs> all right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Whitley Streber and Art Bell. Hi. How you doing, Art? All right. Right. <laughs> uh, Whitley, uh, you were talking a while ago about... Um, um, the uh, Christian program that uh, said you was a Satanist because you was involved yes. with yes uh, okay they did, um, the 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 the, uh, the broadcaster didn't say that but uh, some of his listeners certainly did okay well see I was formerly in the occult very seriously and uh, some of the things that I had involved with I can say this that um, you know with certain things that you're involved with that, that a lot of people look at it like sacrifice and all that that's there's that's part of Satanism. Oh, Whitley, you haven't been sacrificing people, have you? I haven't. I have no interest in, in oh. that at all. I'm not. No, I've never been involved. In all right, hey, hey, caller. Judging from your accent, you're somewhere in the Bible Belt. Where are you? Uh, Ohio. Ohio. Um, well, I don't know if Ohio is in the Bible Belt or not. You tell me. Uh, it's right in the southern tip. Yeah. I mean, as far as uh, between Kentucky and West Virginia. Well, well, what's your point about you were in the occult? Yeah. What has that got to do with? Okay, based on. Um, what they were saying, which I, I didn't get to hear the program, so I don't. I'm not trying to say what they said about you because I, I don't see that you're a Satanist or anything. Because no, you know, you just uh, well, you, once you've been in it, you pretty much know what's going on with it. But um, on the other hand, the the occult, the word occult simply means mysterious or hidden. And yes, but that I know. Okay, the the hidden part of it. See. Satan doesn't want people to know exactly what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, how this gets into alien entities, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, uh, Dr. Carl Ball out of no, I Texas. <laughs> okay, he's an archaeologist. And what he does is he's, he's got a lot of tapes and videos and stuff where he's actually uh, come across, um, you know, some... Um, very interesting facts about which, uh, going to the Bible, uh, talks about the firmament around the heavens. Okay, and it's a two. It was a two-inch form of water. That was what the firmament was. And um, the uh, the occult side of it is from the point that um, you know when a when a person uh, commits sin. Art, I, I tell you something else too. I don't want to jump subject here, but well, I, I'm not. I'm not sure what you've said in the first part, so don't jump to anything else until you explain <laughs> to us what you're saying here. Okay, here's here's what here's what it comes down to. According to the Bible, which a lot of people in and out of. Okay, the um, the point that Adam and Eve sinned. A lot of people look at that story as a symbolic story, but having been a former occultist, 
um, I know for a fact that Satan really hates the Bible message. All right, now there's a reason why. Are uh, you are you a born again Christian, sir? I am now. Uh-huh. I I sense that. Okay, very very strongly, and the reason why is because now, uh, well, this is it's going to take me a long time. I don't want to take up much time, but well, you're not you're not going to be able to because uh, we're out of it. Uh, but Whitley, the thrust of that and the reason he was having a hard time saying what he was trying to say was because he was really saying you are. I mean, here's the man who wrote a book called The Secret School. <laughs> yes. And um, he was really trying to say, and be, he was trying to be polite about it. Be polite about it, yeah. That, well. that you are dabbling uh, in these areas. Well, I don't know. Art, I hope I'm not. I, 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 I know you've given, I thought, you, you've given thought to it, haven't you? Of course. I've given a great deal of thought to it. I mean, some of the some of the things, as I think I've said on this show before, that I have confronted in my in my close encounter experiences have seemed incredibly evil. I mean, I'll be just as plain as I can about that. I, 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 uh, on the other hand, there have been many aspects of it that have not seemed that way at all, and the net result of it is it all seems really different, but profoundly human in the sense that if you look at mankind, you don't, you can't pick out people who are evil and people who are good. It's a mix. I mean, we're all in the gray area. We're good sometimes. Sometimes we do wrong. I mean, right. we just can't help it. And the um, close encounter experience reflects that. It's not a black or white deal at all. It's it's also in the gray area. Like most of life. And like most of life, exactly. Um, I wouldn't say that the biblical paradigm is impossible. I wouldn't discount it. I wouldn't discount anything. Uh, not before I really know what this close encounter experience is all about. I also don't discount it, Whitley, but I, I'm loath to jump, uh, as so many fundamentalists seem to do, uh, to explaining anything that I cannot understand as of the devil. Well, exactly. That was the other thing. If it's, it, it, I always ask people about that. I, you know, why wouldn't it be angelic? And why would you know? Uh, 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 there's a reason that in the Bible that when angels are depicted, they're fearsome and terrible because they know the truth. And mankind, uh, uh, you know, Satan he says is is secretive, and uh, we conceal our sins from ourselves. Uh, it could be that something that, that looks terrifying to a sinner looks that way because it's good. Yeah, that's a good point. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Whitley Streber and Art Bell. Hi. Hi. Where are you? I'm in Seattle. Seattle, all right. And uh, my question is, is that if uh, a comet were to pass through the asteroid belt, whether it's within the plane, uh, planetary plane or not, uh, would, Perturbing orbits, that kind of thing. Would certainly disturb a lot of asteroids and you know create a lot of Apollo uh, asteroids. Um, comets, comets do pass through point. the asteroid belt routinely. I think, I think they all do. Yes, and and uh, and orbits are constantly getting perturbed a little bit, and only take one to get perturbed a little bit the wrong way and cross us and a bad day at Black Rock. Listen, Whitley, hold on. We'll be right back. Bottom of the hour already from the high desert. I'm Art Bell. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 12th, 1997.
Premier Radio Networks presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired February 12, 1997. My guest is Whitley Strieber, the guy from the secret school. That's actually the title of his latest book. We'll get back to him in a moment. Well, all right, uh, as the space shuttle... Uh, grapples with Hubble to try and put in an upgrade, a very interesting occurrence, by the way. We're discussing all manner of things like asteroids, uh, ones that might strike Earth, as will be depicted in the NBC movie coming up this Sunday and Monday, and the Larsen ice shelf in the Antarctic, which is about to crack and disintegrate and be no more. And the Ross Ice Shelf, the big one, is not in that great shape either. So we're talking with Whitley Strieber back to the uh, telephones, and we've got plenty of those. First time caller line, you're on the air with Whitley Strieber and Art Bell. Good morning. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, first of all, I have a question for you, Art. All right. Where are you? I'm in Austin. Austin, Texas. Austin, okay. Texas. Yes, sir. Um, has this been possibly a topic for major ed dance so far? Oh, well, in a sense, yes. Uh, I mean, like this specific thing. Not specifically, no. Okay, he hasn't really investigated. Or I, uh... He's had a very great deal to say about the environment, and if you listen closely, not much of it is very different, really. Okay. Um, and now to, for Whitley, um, is, uh, is it possible that, I know you, you already mentioned kind of uh, a little bit about this earlier, but is it possible that this is just a start and it's going to be like a chain reaction type thing where more ice will break off? Oh, yes. I think that's not possible, but it's probable. It's very likely. Because uh, the, the, you're talking, what's happening is that the, the average temperature on the surface of the ice is rising. And uh, that's, it's not just rising on the Larsen Ice Shelf. It's rising on the whole Antarctic continent. Hmm. Uh, uh, and the... The problem is that the we can sustain the loss of this relatively small 4,600 square mile ice shelf with unknown but probably not disastrous environmental consequences. Small, but uh, bearing in mind it's quite a bit bigger than, say, Rhode Island. Well, it's bigger. It's as big as New England. I mean, it's, it's big yeah. in that sense, but compared to some of the others, it's small. Right. Uh... uh uh, I mean, it's true that there could be, it could turn out to be a tri an environmental tripwire and cause much more trouble than anyone expects. But the problem is that it, it is a symptom uh, of a much bigger uh, issue, and that is that these ice sheets that are attached to the continent itself mm -hmm. are in danger of sliding into the sea. And if I think I misspoke myself earlier in the evening when I said that the melting of the of Antarctica would would inundate uh, the would increase sea levels by 200 feet, it's actually much larger than that. The melting of a third of the East Antarctic ice sheet would 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 increase sea levels by 150 feet. That was what I, that was. That's the correct statistic. Holy smokes! And that's not. It, the Larsen ice shelf is actually part of that area, and uh, if if that does begin to to uh, to calve out into the sea, 
it's 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 the, I mean the sheet begins to move into the sea. It's it's definitely uh, going to be a big problem. Uh, I think it's really quite serious, and it's this is just a symptom. Uh, uh, the the loss of the of the Larsen ice shelf means the Antarctic continent is in trouble, basically. Well, there's not a lot we can do, is there? I mean, you can say, write your congressman, but uh, it's going to happen, Whitley. It's not just the U.S., it's the world. And if we're having an effect, we're going to continue to have it. I'm, I'm not that naive. We're headed toward whatever is going to occur. So some people might I be tempted to say... I think there's going to be a change in human consciousness. I, I, I wouldn't discount the mind of man yet. It's very optimistic of you. I, I, am, I am fairly optimistic. I, I think that we're going to experience we're going to experience more pressure in the next 50 years than we ever have in our history because of the effect that we are having on our environment and because of all kinds of other factors. And we are going to respond to that with an outburst of incredible creativity mm. because as a species, I think on balance, we want to live. And, uh, there, I mean, you the, the, right now, the, the death wish of mankind is centered in the continually, the need to have an economy that is in continuous expansion. Mm -hmm. And we're changing that. We will not be in this kind of economy in 50 years. It will, it will be different. There's no question in my mind about it. All right, Whitley. Wild card line, you're on the air with uh, optimistic Whitley Strieber. Semi-optimistic. <laughs> I heard an optimistic Whitley. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I have a two-part question. Uh, number one, Whitley, could you further elucidate uh, on what you said earlier regarding your encounters uh, as far as uh, you didn't know whether they were good or evil or they were sometimes both? And would this, if um, I am by no means a fundamentalist, but if you take the postulate of the Bible, which is this war going on between these group, this this these sets of beings out there, uh, would this have anything to do perhaps with might they have an interest in trying to change our consciousness or to stop that from happening? And does this make any sense with what you have observed from your own encounters? Okay, the answer, the short answer is this. Uh, it does make a certain amount of sense, truly. It, it does. Uh, there is an implication of some kind of a of a conflict almost about what to do about us. Well, to give you one simple example, uh, there are UFO sightings and uh, uh, video made of UFOs every day uh, all over the world. It's a, become a common place of life. Mm -hmm. Very little of it ends up on television. Uh, it's quite amazing what I get, though. I wonder, I wonder why, Whitley. Uh, isn't that, I mean, uh, you're Because right. we're in a culture of denial. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's, uh, it starts with the, uh, or it started back in the 40s when the when the government elected to keep the 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 whole business secret, and then the media uh, 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 latched onto that, and the intellectual community and the uh, the educated people along with it. And there's now a commitment to that. That's an emotional commitment. It hasn't got anything to do with reality. I could prove. It, give me an hour. Uh, 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 on television, which I cannot incidentally get, and I could prove without question that UFOs are real. Absolutely prove it. 
All right. Uh, but try- the point I'm trying to make here is this. On the one hand, you have some part of this thing that is trying like heck, like, like hell to go public. On the other hand, you have the incredibly secretive side of it, which is the abductions and all of that. Right. Are you looking at two different sets of aliens or uh, who are in conflict over what should be done here? Or what are you looking at there? I don't know. I don't know. Um, with respect to the word denial, here's the facts. Art, the majority of the human race will react to a known impending megacatastrophe um, of any kind as follows. First, there will be massive denial. Then, as the reality builds to irrefutable proportions, overwhelming mass terror and panic. Unfortunately, most of us cannot even handle moderate change in existing paradigms, much less an event of this degree of magnitude. Daryl and Rancho Mirage. Agree? I think he's right on the money. Uh, although the, I think that the species would go through the same process that an individual goes through when they face their impending death, when they realize they're going to die, they, when they get some terminal disease. The first thing is denial, and, and that, that would absolutely be how it started off. The second thing is a frantic effort to avoid it. And then there comes a surrender, a time of peace. I just went through this recently with a friend, the whole process. And uh, that time of peace is a time of absolute miracles in a person's life uh, as it comes to its conclusion. Like the dying process. Yes. And I think that uh, what would happen to us at that time probably would be that the mysteries that surround us of what we really are, where we came from, what the soul is or isn't, whether or not the dead exist, uh, the meaning of, 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 of our existence and the way we live in sort of in a kind of enforced ignorance about our, mm-hmm. our real nature, all of that would be revealed at that point. And uh, what the death of the species would turn out, the physical death of the species, would turn out to mean would probably be something very, very different from what we now think. Interesting. All right. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Whitley Strieber and Art Bell. Good morning. Good morning. Where Good are morning. you, sir? I'm Peter on the North Shore of Chicago. Yes, sir. I would like, please, to offer a few comments and or possibly facts concerning Fatima. I happened to be living in New Mexico in the fall of 1986 when a film was released starring Martin Sheen. And interestingly, that is the only state in which the film was shown. It was previewed there with the hope of making it nationally available. For whatever reason or reasons, that did not happen, and so we were privileged to see this, and virtually nobody else did. What was it? I believe the title is A State of Emergency. And briefly, Sheen learns of the message of Fatima. His, he's a highly skilled and placed uh, uh, engineer and or um, astronaut type uh, person. And his whole life becomes rerouted. He goes to Fatima. He learns some incredibly arresting things about the whole series of revelations, which we won't take time to get into. But what I'd like to please offer is Pope John Paul II, as you know, was 
shot in the 1980s. You may not know that he took the bullet that was taken from his body to Fatima. Yes, I did know that. Okay. And he has said that the messages of Fatima are more relevant now than they were when given what is now, what, 70-plus years ago. Yes. And you're able to see, if you go into the archives of the New York Times, how they carried the story of the over 75,000 persons that witnessed the great miracle of the sun in October of Oh, yes, I've read those stories. I've even, I even made it my business to do a research into it at one point, thinking about writing a novel about it. And I met some people who were there, who actually saw oh, the wow. incident. Not the not the lady, but who were in the crowd of seventy five thousand. Right. And in one case, I met a man who was thirty miles away, and uh, had seen quite incredible things happening. So what? it was a remarkable, it was a truly amazing incident. I'll tell you another thing that's fascinating about it. An additional prediction was made in was revealed in nineteen twenty three to the effect that if the mankind saw an extraordinary light in the sky. That's part of the film. Well, that that would mean that the uh, that the uh, that the punishment that would be a, that there had been insufficient prayer and mankind had remained turned away from from uh, fr- from the good. That is to say, in a state of denial, mm-hmm. and uh, that there would be a war. Now, interestingly enough, in 1938, over Europe, there was such an unusual and extraordinary rural display that was reported in newspapers worldwide. Subsequent to that, the, the, the series of events that led to World War II started just a few months later. The Atlas hit right afterwards. Right afterwards, that's correct. What I thought would be of interest in light of the great discussion I've been listening to is the following. We have through no one less than the mother of Jesus Christ in those messages to children who were, I believe, illiterate at the time, speaking to adults courageously. If You know the story, Mr. Strieber, you know. I certainly do. They were threatened with death, boiled in oil by the authorities in order to extract the messages, they withstood all of these threats and harassments and being disowned by their own loved ones in at least one or two instances. There was heroic fortitude given from heaven, obviously working in those children. And I believe it only makes sense to take what they shared with us. It is our roadmap, as it were. And what is that? It is prayer, consecrating of oneself, to the Virgin Mary's immaculate heart in order to be disposed to fulfill in each person's life that which God wants of them. And that will build the peace that she, and this is very important, definitively stated will come. As you know, it was not a conditional promise. It was, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph and there will be peace. All right. Uh, caller, thank you. Look, Whitley, here's what I want to say before you respond to that. Why Fatima? Why messages 
that are held uh, in secret and read by popes, and the word has to leak out. If God wants us to know something really serious is going on, well, why not make us all aware of it in, in a way that God, only God could? I agree completely, but, but uh, if mankind is here to make a choice, yeah. a free choice, then the, the the question has to remain open. Well, Otherwise, that, it, we can't it, make a free choice. Okay, if, fine. Then, then why Fatima? Uh, it, uh, on the other side of the coin, why Fatima? In other words, why influence us at all if we are to um, uh, be allowed to be our, uh, the guides of our own destiny? Then why try and influence us with little hints hither and yon, uh, either... You know, I, I'm giving you questions that I know no, you can't answer. No, I agree answer. with you completely. <laughs> uh, they, uh, I think that it's the same thing that happens in a in a in a when you have a life in a close encounter experience. You find yourself uh, in a situation where you you always seem to learn the absolute minimum amount necessary to make you realize that 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 there is a way to do it that works. And uh, I think that that the warnings that have uh, that have been consistent, by the way, the, uh, from the Virgin, not only from Fatima, but from dozens of uh, of other apparitions, some of them equally well documented, uh, have always been the same. That 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 there must be a turning toward something. In other words, there must be prayer, and as he says, the dedication to the to, to, to the Blessed Virgin is mm -hmm. is a part of that process. Certainly, for some people, uh, my response, by the way, to the to the issue of prayer is is this: that there's a very I, I was not interested in prayer before I had my started having close encounters, and I was driven to it by the fact that they were so. Uh, Overwhelming that there was just and so inexplicable that I was left with nothing else to do. And I, I mean, I won't pre pretend to be a person who has led a life of prayer, but I discovered something interesting about prayer that if you let yourself, mm -hmm. prayer becomes a, a remarkable pleasure. It is not a chore at all uh, if you open yourself to it. If you let it become a form of companionship, it's an amazing experience. Absolutely amazing. All right. Uh, Whitley, hold tight. Uh, the time just flies by. And uh, Whitley's books, Communion, and so many others, the latest, The Secret School, available in bookstores nationwide. We will continue with Whitley in a moment. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 12th, 1997.
You're listening to Art Bell's Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 12, 1997. Curious what it would be like if an asteroid hit the Earth? NBC will be showing you Sunday and Monday. There's a plug for them. There is a big discussion ongoing right now on the subject of asteroids, the Larson Ice Shelf, and much more. In a chat room, uh, one chat room that I visit occasionally, on AOL. If you would like to join in, uh, here's how you do it. Log on to AOL, if you can get on. <laughs> and uh, at this time of night, I assume you can. And uh, just go to keyword, uh, keyword and enter Art Bell or um, Periscope. I assume Art Bell will probably be easier for you. And it will immediately take you to the Periscope area. Once there, you click on the chat room option, which is, I think, on the upper right-hand side. And, uh, boom, you'll be in there with a whole bunch of people uh, discussing what you're hearing on the air and a lot more. So, once again, uh, AOL, keyword Art Bell, and in you go. All right, again to the world of open line talk radio. My guest is Whitley Strieber. Uh, it's an honor to have him here. He is back home uh, between engagements. He's been on the road for I don't know how long. Uh, you probably feel like part of pavement by now, Whitley. <laughs> I did um, 24 lectures in 27 days, I think it was. <laughs> it was interesting. Yeah, I don't, actually, how do you do that? I don't know. I just did it, but I couldn't tell you how you do it. Uh, there were so many people out there. It was it was wonderful. I would I would sometimes I would be uh, traveling, you know, overnight, and uh, it would mean that I slept very little in a in like a forty eight hour period. But sure, when I would get to the bookstore and see it filled with hundreds of people, it was uh, I had enough energy to go on easily. It was. It was really wonderful. Uh, it, that's an interesting point. There is a, a transference of energy. Oh, yes, definitely. And uh, and it applies to more than just book signings. I mean, there's a sort of a thing that goes on that may be the one thing that will save us. <laughs> I don't know. But there's a sort of a transference and mass understanding. Right now we have a mass understanding that something is coming. We don't know what it is. When it gets here, maybe there will be some sort of mass coming together. I hope that's true. Well, I hope so, too. If it's not true, then uh, uh, you have to perhaps conclude that that mankind is a sort of uh, mistake, and I, I find that very hard to believe. Uh, so do I. I don't want to believe I'm a mistake. No. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Whitley Streber and Art Bell, top of the morning. Yeah, this is uh, Hopner from Kugiak, Alaska. Oh, um, uh, wasn't uh, Elijah abducted by uh, a fiery chariot with fifty uh, prophets watching him in Second Kings two eleven? Yes, what I think something like that, that did happen. Uh, what What did Christians say about that? Well, what do you say about it? <laughs> I believe he was. <laughs> well, uh, yes, we have. There are any number of instances in the Bible. Uh, that suggests the like. Well, Ezekiel is another perfect instance. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that that happened that seemed to be a uh, a uh, a kind of a close encounter of some sort. 
Yeah, he was abducted. So if they're saying that it's Satanism, how come uh, a God's prophet was abducted by a Satanist? You know, <laughs> if they believe UFOs well, are Satanists. I think that the assumption is that if it happens to the other guy, it must be Satan. But if it happens to you, it has to be an angel. Yeah, okay. And uh, um, in Revelation 8, it talks about a fiery mountain coming out of the sky and hitting the earth. Now, it, well, it says the uh, waters and the ocean. And isn't that going to cause a big tidal wave? And isn't that going to lift the caps off both poles? And well, uh, it would have to be pretty big if... Uh, uh, let me put it this way: If a if a an asteroid a couple of miles across hit in the middle of say the Atlantic, oh it would create tidal waves that would inundate Kansas City, uh, it, and and would certainly. Did you say Kansas City? I said Kansas City. It would. Yeah, you, you would. Uh, well, we have had on this planet situations where there were tidal waves ten and fifteen thousand feet high. Uh, not recently, but it has happened. Uh, the amazing thing about the Earth is the Earth is really old, and uh, uh, practically everything that can happen to it has happened. There has been only one thing that has been consistent about this planet since life began, and that is that life has continued despite everything. Mm -hmm. Just maybe not as we know it. Well, I, no. I, in I other mean, words, I, been... I, I firmly think life is going to continue. Whatever's coming, it'll crawl back or somehow continue. But, but remember, Art, here's the way it actually happens. It doesn't crawl back. Every time a disaster occurs, the next phase of life is richer, more alive, more conscious, better than what came before. Mm -hmm. It's the opposite of what you would think. Mm-hmm. Right, but there are a lot of people not around to observe that difference. The, yes, evolution <laughs> to the guys it, it happens to is always a big disappointment. I mean, I'm sure that the dinosaurs still don't think very highly of it. I'm sure they don't. Uh, so. east, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Art Bell and Whitley Streber. Good morning. Hi, this is Bud from Owensboro, Kentucky. Hi, uh, Bud. I just have one quick question, then I'm going to get off here and listen. Do you think the, uh, you guys think the, Repairing of the Hubble right now in any way coincides with the, the coming of the comet. That's all I want to know. All right. Uh, a lot of people have had that on their mind. Uh, they are uh, doing some upgrades or repair to the Hubble, and the timing is rather interesting, uh, Whitley. Yes. There, there haven't been a lot of pictures, recent ones, from Hubble um, of, the comet, of, no. of the comet. And why in the heck not? <laughs> well, there's one. There's one recent picture of the comet. Uh, the reason that there were no pictures in in, uh, in January is that if if the Hubble uh, mirrors were to touch the rim of the sun, it would vaporize the telescope. Mm, bad. Yeah, and there's a lot of nervousness about about aiming the Hubble too close to the to the disk of the sun for mm. you know for good reasons. That I think the astronomical community would be very disappointed if it went up in a puff of smoke, um, which it would do if it took in the, the sunlight. The sunlight would just burn it to a crisp immediately. Uh, so the, the, I think there was a picture taken last week of the comet, a very good one, which interestingly enough has a star beside it. Uh, I suppose it is the stars, indeed, they said on the on the NASA, NASA website. But, uh, uh, 
see, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they improve Hubble's vision or what they're doing. That really has not been explained. Do you have any idea what they're doing? No, it's not clear. It's not explained. Not, not to my knowledge. It may be explained in, uh, in, uh, in, like in the uh, astronomy magazine, in astronomy magazine, and places like that. I have not seen a recent issue, but it hasn't been explained in the in the general press very clearly at all. All right, first time caller line. You're on the air with Whitley Streber and Art Bell. Good morning. Hey, um, this is Zeb up in Minnesota. Zeb, you're going to have to speak right into your phone, good and loud. You're a little hard to hear, but go ahead. All right, this is Zeb up in Minnesota. Right. Hello, Art. Hello, Hi. Whitley. Uh, Hi. I've got a couple of points to make um, about a caller earlier, the the guy who had dealings with the occult. Oh, yes. Um, I just wanted to say... Um, he mentioned that the devil doesn't want to know what he's doing, and I wanted to bring up the fact that also uh, a lot of humankind will not be getting the messages that um, God will be sending, no matter how you view God. Um, humanity on a whole will not be getting the message. And um, also that I, I had, uh, before I went to my philosophy class today in college uh, I had this um, thought about the cycles of, of the past on the earth mm -hmm. and how uh, I view them more as a cataclysmic uh, birth instead of uh, the eras ending in death well um, yeah in other words you can view the end, not as an end, but as a beginning, and I, I think that's fair. Uh, there probably have been, in my estimation, many ends and many beginnings. Not of everything, but uh, many cycles, so I'm sure that caller is exactly right. A wild card line, you're on the air with Whitley Streber and Art Bell. Good morning. Good morning, Art. It's Paul in Philadelphia. Yes, sir. Good morning, Whitley. Good morning. Yes, I, I just thought it was such a such an honor to speak with you. I, I just wanted to commend you. You seem to pursue the truth about what you think, and you seem to be very honest and supportive. And I, I just appreciate it because um, I just uh, I know that you know you must live your life under some pressure because of what you've experienced. And I haven't read your books, but I I respect you very greatly. And uh, I just I thought it would be very I, you know you you don't know if you're going to get through. And I'm just just glad that you're there, and I appreciate your Thanks. your work. Thanks very much. I appreciate your your getting through, and uh, yeah, it's true. There's a lot of pressure, and uh, uh, because of you know, I mean, I'm a I, I am a uh, a person who is identified with what the sociologists call rejected knowledge, hmm. and right. you you know, you get kicked around. Mm -hmm. uh, that happens to me a lot, and it's not pleasant. Uh, uh, for example, my new book, uh, The Secret School, was uh, underpublished by the publisher, HarperCollins. They, they published so few copies that it sold out in the first week, week and a half, and uh, was practically unobtainable. And it's now in a little bit better shape around the country, but most bookstores don't have it, and uh, they don't reorder it because they don't like my books, and they, you know, they, they'd rather these books weren't there. And they, you know, once the two or three copies they got were sold, they just 
just didn't bother to reorder it. Right. That's something that really bothers me, that that people people want information, they want the truth presented in a way that they can make up their own minds about whatever they may hear. And, uh, and uh, I, you know, I mean, I know it's the way it is that, you know, certain things people aren't supposed to know or aren't supposed to think about certain ways. And so, you know, I'm glad that people have enjoyed your books. As I say, I haven't read them. But, well, uh, but, I, but I may soon, <laughs> if I can find them. All right. Anyway, good, and again, thank you. All right. Uh, communion still generally available? Uh, the books, uh, it's quite variable. Uh, uh, communion is still in print. So is transformation. Uh, I think that the paperbacks, communion, transformation, and breakthrough are much easier to find than the secret school. There's something about the secret school. I, it is a, it's weird because it's, um, there are a lot of things in it. Like in it, I speculated that the Earth's core may be crystal, a crystal. I mean, that was one of the things that came up in the secret school. Now there's uh, stuff floating around in the news to the effect that there's a, a number of scientists who feel it is the core of the planet is crystal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I speculate in the book one of the prophecies is that there that the mountain uh, the, in Mexico, Popocatapetl, is in danger of exploding. Very close now. Absolutely. And now it, it turns out a year or, or a year and a half after that was written, it seems on the point of happening. And now the book is not, it's not exactly being suppressed, but it's the next thing to it. It's really hard to find, and it should not be hard to find. Not when it sells out wherever it goes. Yeah, and and why don't bookstores reorder it? I mean, I've even asked in in one case. Uh, 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 I asked them why they didn't reorder it, and the lady said, "Well, I just don't know." <laughs> it is, it's not that there's a conspiracy there, but there's a there's a kind of level of denial. People don't want to don't want to grapple with these things. I understand. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Whitley Streber and Art Bell. Hi. Hi, Art. Hi, Hi Whitley. This Hi. is Frank from Reno. Yes, Frank. And I wanted to comment. Uh, Art, you're going to uh, Egypt, and you're going to see the Pyramid of Cheops here sometime in the fall. October 1st. Yes, around October. One of the things you may want to check out, uh, there's a timeline, a prophetic timeline, as it is in that pyramid. And it starts, I believe, about 1,600 years before the birth of Christ, and each inch equals one year. It goes up to the birth of Christ, 1,600, some odd inches after that, and then 33 inches after that, the death of Christ. But what's interesting is 2,000, exactly 2,000, or just a little past 2,000 inches, you have uh, this whole prophetic timeline leading to an abyss, and there's no more prophecies. Now, among other things, it, uh, I guess it, it predicted the... Uh, the explosion of the space shuttle, which is 1,986 inches past the birth of Christ. There's a book out as well that's written. It's called 2000 uh, or 55 2000, the impending ice age. And apparently, uh, the, one of the projections that uses the, the pyramid of Cheops. But one of the things that it says is that there's a planetary alignment taking place on May 5th. That's correct. The year 2000. And uh, the suggestion of the book is that we'll be facing an immediate ice age, much like what you were talking about when they, they found the animals there in Siberia that were immediately frozen. And I just wondered what you thought of all that. All right. Well, I'll turn it into another question. Whitley, what do you feel about prophecy generally? 
Well, I feel very strange about prophecy generally. Most prophecy is wrong. However, uh, when you, if you look at uh, prophecies that are correct, they can get very eerie. Well, like for example, uh, I was not aware of the of the timeline that he describes, but most of the of the great long count calendars end between the year 2005 and 2012. That's correct. Uh, the, uh, the Zodiac is making this radical transformation from Pisces to Aquarius. The human species is reaching some kind of population climax. Uh, the planet's environment is stressed. There seem to be all kinds of, of, of objects floating around in space which may or may not always have been there. We're not sure. Uh, there, there is a feeling of there are aliens kind of ghosting around in our lives. Implants are being pulled out of people. There's UFOs flying around to the point where so many camcorder images are taken of them. Oh, yes, you have an implant, don't you? Yeah, well, uh, I think I have one in my, in my, uh, in my uh, left ear. All right, hold, hold that thought, Whitley. We're at the bottom of the hour, and since you mentioned the age of Aquarius, I'll let that take us through the bottom of the hour. Then we'll talk about that implant. From the high desert, this is the American CBC Radio Network. I'm Art Bell. Stay right where you are. There's more to happen before this night is over. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 12th. 1997. Once again, here I am. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. My guest is Whitley Strieber. And uh, I'm going to have a couple of uh, really interesting questions for him in a moment. I think we need uh, to reflect on a couple of past shows, or at least get uh, comment on them. So we will be doing that. Stand by for that. And I think you know the show... Uh, that I am referring to. So that coming up in a moment. More as we continue with discussion of all sorts of interesting things of a uh, of global interest. How about that? Now again, reminding you, we're in a chat room. If you would like to join us, it's America Online. All you do is go on AOL, reach up there, click on keyword, enter keyword Art Bell. A-R-T-B-E-L-L, -L, that's my name, 
it will take you to the appropriate area. Then clicking, uh, click on the uh, Grassy Knoll chat room. And in you will come, and you will find all kinds of people in there saying all kinds of things about what we're talking about and more. And I'm in there watching the uh, comments roll by. All right, now, uh, Whitley, can't let this night go without asking you about um, that incredible program you did with me. Yes. Uh, shortly, uh, you recall during that program, you suggested as a possible compromise that he take the photographs that he claims to have on film and submit them not to the general public, but to perhaps a group of astronomers in Hawaii or elsewhere privately to verify um, what he has. Uh, shortly after that show, uh, Professor Brown posted a statement saying he would not allow examination of any of the physical evidence. And you recall during the show he said he would consider it. So yes. I wanted to get your thoughts on that whole thing now that we're down line from it a bit. Well, I'm still very saddened by the whole event, and uh, I don't really understand what went on, uh, except I can't see any reason why he wouldn't have uh, given the why not simply give it to an astronomer of his his own choice? Uh, the other thing about it that's always kind of bothered me ever since this whole business began was the fact that the pictures were alleged to be on rolls of film. Yes. And I can't seem to understand where there would be a teles a professional telescope that makes its uh, makes its uh, uh, film on rolls, as opposed to CCD, CCD images are uh, yeah. plates, yeah. and I, I, I uh, have asked around, and I can't seem to find anyone who thinks that such material would have been transmitted in any form except as prints or uh, or uh, digitally. Digital. Y yeah, and uh, I just don't understand what the full story is there. All right. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Whitley Strieber. Hi. Uh, how you doing, Art? All uh, right. Thanks uh, for taking my phone call. Uh, this is the D-man from uh, KPRL, uh, San Luis Obispo, California. Yes, sir. Um, a question for Whitley. Uh, after uh, the hand of God smashed this one large rock and made it into a millions of little pieces of rock, and it uh, created the uh, uh, the stars and the heavens. Um, question: How many uh, stars in the uh, in our uh, oh, what do they call it out there in uh, what do they call our galaxy? Yes, thank you. <laughs> uh, are possible or could be have planets that may harbor life. All right, uh, we don't know the answer to that question anymore. The the it's constantly changing. It's a moving yes. target. So as the more science seems to find out, and astronomers find out, and as Hubble gets better photographs, the more convinced scientists seem to become that life is common, not uncommon. Yes. 
Uh, that, that, I think, is the answer. First time caller line, you're on the air with Whitley Strieber and Art Bell. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Where are you? I'm in San Antonio, Texas. Uh-huh. Close to Whitley. Yes. Um, Mr. Strieber, good morning. Yes. Uh, how are you? Fine. Um, I just want to preface this by saying that uh, I, I'm a big fan of yours. Okay? I, I, um, I've read Communion and a couple of your other books, and... Um, I saw the movie, um, <clears throat> but I don't. I don't think you're going to like what I have to tell you. But, um, I could tell that by the way the call came. I'm a big fan of yours, but so go ahead. Okay. Um, about five years ago, um, I, I, I read a book, um, and uh, I thought it was a very interesting book, and uh, so I wrote to the publisher and got in touch with the author of this book. And, um, you know, I wanted to correspond with him. And he called me. And um, he, he told me some things about you that... What book? Uh, it's a book called UFOs, a Dangerous, uh, Abductions, a Dangerous Game. Oh, Philip Class. Yes. Phil Class. Well, what Phil Class may or may not have told you about me is... Probably very far from true. But what look, he, anyway, what to be to be, yeah, to be criticized by Phil Class is frankly a badge of honor. Yes. In, in most uh, circles, but go ahead, caller. Okay. Well, I, like I said, I'm a fan of Whitley's. I mean, I uh, well, don't repeat that. Just go ahead and say what. Yeah, Mr. What did he say? What did Class say? Well, he said that um, that you um, that he talked to your doctor. It's a lie. Uh, he did not. T my doctor never told him that I had temporal lobe epilepsy. Okay, I right. have been tested for that three times, very aggressively. I don't have the disease. The details of this and the tests and the dates, etc., and so forth, are in a, an appendix to a book I wrote in 1988 called Transformation, uh, which Mr. Class knows very well. And if he's still saying that, it's as nonsensical as it was the first time he said it. Well, End of story. Let's go on to the next caller. All right. Uh, onward uh, we go. Yeah. Phil Class, I've had him on the air a couple of times in debates, Whitley, with people. Yeah. And um, I was kind of disappointed in the way that he debates. Well, he's a very inadequate ad advocate for his position, which happens to be a very valid position because we do not understand what the visitors are. There is, however, a difference between emotional denial and rational skepticism, and he is sure. in emotional denial, sure. not rational skepticism. I quite agree with you. Uh, by the way, Whitley, with regard, I, I said I was going to mention your uh, implant. Yeah. Uh, and since we're on the physical end of things right now, the medical side, what are you going to have done with that? Well, let me tell you the truth about this. I have had this uh, examined by a couple of doctors and x-rayed, it it doesn't show anything. There's no smoking gun. In other words, there's nothing no, nothing showing a piece of technology in the X-ray. And I vacillate. I have said on a number of occasions I'm going to get it taken out. But mm -hmm. what stops me is that and Betty Ruth Dagonese, who died in 1989, had one very similar one in her ear, and, and, and it seemed to function quite similarly to the one I do, have with the difference that she had some reason to believe that it would be very dangerous for her to take it out during her lifetime and waited until after her death. And every time I decide to get it taken out, I, 
I get cold feet uh, because it's there's so little known about the darn things. But uh, I think this spring I am going to get it taken out. Uh, and that, so that's where it stands right now, and I will report the results as to whether it was an implant or not, which is not known. I mean, it seems to me that it is, but... Well, on dark skies, they call it an art when they remove it, and I hope it goes easier for you than that. <laughs> wild, wild card line, you're on the air with Whitley Streber and Art Bell. Hi. Yes, Mr. Streber. Um, curious to, to ask you, if um, have you are you familiar with the book of Enoch? The Keys of Enoch? It, it's the book of Enoch. Um, it is not officially recognized by the church because. Of oh the, yes, it's one of yeah. It's in the apocrypha. I know what yeah, it right. is. Right. Yeah. Interesting enough that you mentioned crystals in in uh, the in the middle of the earth. It, it states in in uh, Enoch that, that that is indeed the case when, uh, in the description of hell. Um, interesting uh, also is it's, uh, it, it correlates almost all the angels. And the new uh, um, Dead Sea Scrolls that have recently been put into print by uh, Michael Wise, Martin Ebeg, Edward Cook confirm what is being said throughout the Book of Enoch. And uh, I, I was just perhaps interested if you were familiar with the book and had read it. Uh, I don't remember. I don't. I'm not. I'm not familiar with it. I am familiar, however, with the. Uh the idea that the that the core of the earth may be uh maybe a iron crystal mm -hmm. uh that was reported on april the fourth nineteen ninety five in the new york times uh and it's a fascinating hypothesis especially because of of uh its implications in terms of of the uh uh the way the earth may for example if 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 the earth is shocked by a sufficient impact uh how will it actually react to that uh in other words is this crystal going to resonate uh in, in some manner i mean there's all kinds of things is it if, not interesting whitley when you consider how little we know about our own earth in other words our own earth you know exactly. we, we don't know what kind of core we have or anything else we don't know no east of the rockies you're on the air with whitley streber and art bell high Yes, hi. Where are you? I'm in the Northwest Suburbs of Chicago. All right. And I wanted to just to say, Art, I've enjoyed your show and your uh, webpage there, too. And uh, and uh, Whitley, uh, even as I've been listening to you, um, I'm also one of the fundamental Christians, and I'm, I'm not here to make just negative comments or anything. But what I want to say is I'm also part of a group of a network of prophets all over the world, and... We're seeing things that are going to be taking place. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And we are look, seeing things that are taking place right now that uh, very soon it could be very cataclysmic events that are going to be taking place. And we're perceiving now that uh, it looks like things are going to start happening. And I'm one of those people that believe that, you know, hey, if aliens are here and it's, you know, I can see how God can allow that to happen. Um, I'm one of those people that when I look out and I look in the Word of God and the Bible, I see that there is definitely a war with Lucifer and a war with the powers of darkness. Caller, do you regard these as the end times? Yes. All right. Uh, Whitley, it seems like the religious would regard them as the end times or, or, or uh, biblical uh, cataclysmic events. The scientists are talking about their own sort of end times with the environment and all the rest of it. And the rest of us, who are not scientists, simply feel 
that something is coming. But no matter who you talk to, uh, the story, while a little different, is really the same, isn't it? I think that it's going to be, though, not a single huge event. It could be. But I suspect it's more likely that it's going to build over a period of years, and they're going to be large numbers of events, each individual, which are individually quite big, like the collapse of the Larsen Ice Shelf, or perhaps a uh, an impact somewhere on the planet sufficiently large to cause significant damage, and uh, building uh, changes in the environment, uh, dramatic shifts in the weather, uh, uh, and so on and so forth, that when we look back after another 50 years, we will realize that the world has changed more in the, or in, a, in another 20 years even, that the world has changed more in that time than it, has, that it changed in, in our entire history. Uh, you're yeah. exactly right. That's why this latest book came springing out of me so easily. I felt it. It was something... It's a funny thing. Now, I know you've, you've written a lot more books than I have, but this one was boiling inside of me, Whitley. Just boiling. I know the feeling. It's an amazing feeling when that happens. It, it just it poured out. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Whitley Strieber and Art Bell. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Soraya. I'm in San Antonio. Hi, Whitley. Hi. How you doing? Fine, thanks. Listen, I only get you till 4 o'clock here on WAI, as you well know, so I'm getting you in and out on KLIS. All right. I didn't hear too much. A little while ago, but listen, I was wondering um, what you said about not the bookstores not carrying the secret school. That's true because I've been on a waiting list for what seems like forever, and I haven't gotten a call back that it's in or anything. Where have you been on the waiting list? Uh, Bookstop. Bookstop is just not reordering it. They're not. No. That's crazy. Well, um, uh, I asked them about that. Uh, you know, it's like that all over the country. I know. Yeah. I bet it is, and it's it's just it's crazy. There, it's another. People There's a certain mindset that doesn't want this book. <laughs> hey, listen about you not removing your implants. That sounds like that uh, X Files episode that was on last Friday about well, Dana Scully wanting to get her implant removed. You know, <laughs> you we have that? a uh, an implant. I'm I don't say much about the implant study I'm working on because we're right in the middle of it. But we've got one, for example. We've already got probably the smoking gun actually that the skeptics have always said you would never get. Uh, which is, this one is uh, an implant that is made out of glass. Essentially, it's a form of glass. It's a ceramic, they're calling it, because of various reasons. But it's essentially silica. And incredibly, despite its formula, it conducts electricity. And what? we have no idea why. Really? None. Where uh, were these tests done, Whitley? Here in Texas, in at a lab, Texas, at a really? very sophisticated lab, in fact. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. And well, it I is... Glass Quite. is an insulator, not a conductor. I know. And if it, this, this glass is a conductor, not an insulator. And the thing that's so bizarre about it is it doesn't appear to be anything in the formula that would explain that. God, it's, that's just, it's just absolutely remarkable. All right, Whitley, we are out of time. Uh, it just flies by. It does fly by. All right, we'll have to do it again soon. Uh, you're going to be going where? Hawaii? I'm going to Hawaii at the end of the month to to speak for a group called Axiom. I'm going to be on Maui and in Honolulu. And if you live in Hawaii, uh, it will not be hard for you to find the details. I don't know them myself. <laughs> okay. I wish I did. Uh, I wish I had them at hand, but I don't. Well, I'll tell you what. When you get them, get them to me, and I'll get them on the air. 
Okay, great. So I'll, do that. As, I'll get them to you tomorrow. As usual, Whitley, uh, it's not goodbye, but just until the next time. Until the next time, Art. Take care, my friend. From the high desert, good night. <laughs>